Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Going into this weekend, if Eli Drinkwitz is able to show, hey, K-State wasn't a fluke, that is what tomorrow should be about. It's about confirmation that this team can go up against any of the teams that are remaining on their schedule, not name Georgia, and win that game. Daniels, he looks to throw here. Zips one down the sideline, wide open for an easy walk-in touchdown for neighbors. From the end zone, Cook throws one, and it's intercepted! is going to escape Columbia with a win. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. I'm sad today. I'm playing hurt, boys. No. It's BK and Ferrari well, you're here always playing hurt. ESPN, not audio courtesy of ESPN as uh, Missouri doesn't just lose, but finds the most dramatic way possible to lose over the weekend. They mazooed all over the field. Alex, just when you get your hopes up that this year is going to be different, this time they can't hurt me. They go out there and it's not different and they absolutely hurt me. Brady Cook looked mostly awesome. Yes, there were the two interceptions, including the pick six that you heard there. At that point, that was you were just trying to heave ho. You were going to lose no matter what, most likely. Some of us on the spread. He didn't really heave ho it that far. He pulled it 10 yards into the dude's chest. It was a heave ho it a little higher. First of all, fair. Second of all, he played great for the most part in that game on Saturday. They, They put up 39 points. He put up 400 yards. It's hard for me to blame him. He wasn't the problem in that game. Luther Burden was amazing once again. Cody Schrader performed really well. The offensive line was mostly fine. Here's the problem. (laughs) Your defense gave up 42. And I know LSU's offense is amazing. And Jaden Daniels is bleeping awesome, dude. I don't know where he's at right now in the Heisman candidacy voting, but the dude should be top three at a minimum. He's incredible. You can't give up 42 and expect to win, man. You told me this defense was going to be as great as we have seen at Mizzou. T-Bone, am I correct in this? I was told this defense was incredible. It was the reason this team was going to be great this year. They don't have a pass rush. Maybe they should figure it out. The part that I underestimated was their inability to replace all of the edge rushers that they lost from a year ago. Isaiah McGuire was great for him. DJ McCollman, really good. They added other dudes via the transfer portal. And the blitzes were getting home because you had to put so much emphasis offensively on trying to chip and give help on Isaiah McGuire, who was a top 100 pick in the NFL draft. This year, they don't have a single dude coming off of the edge. Darius Robinson's fine, but he's a big body that wins with power. 
He's not winning any time with speed. Their other guy, Johnny Walker Jr., has been really solid this year. Guess what? The dude spit on another player and kicked another dude and got himself kicked out of the game. Spitting on another player is just what wild. Are we doing? Come on, you know better than that one. So he gets kicked out midway through the third quarter. Ennis Rakestraw, one of your best corners who was playing amazing in the first half and looked totally inspired going into the game. I don't know where he was, but he didn't play but one one snap in the fourth quarter. He spit on somebody too? No, I don't think so. So it's a tough loss, man. I will add this, though. Positive Pete. Spin rate. Coming at you. Everything Missouri wanted to accomplish this year is still on the table. This SEC East, not as good as a lot of people expected. Credit where it's due. Holy bleep, Georgia woke up over the weekend. Oh, buddy. So much for that Kentucky pick. Yikes. Sorry if you guys followed that one. Hopefully you didn't. But everybody around the SEC East is pretty much like you except for Georgia. You can still finish in second. This upcoming game is every bit as big as the last one was. It's all still there on the table, but man, that one hurt. That one hurt. Yeah, I, I, I think I was most frustrated at how they ended the first half and came into the second half because the way they ended that first half, LSU couldn't get anything going offensively. Every time they would try to, it would just be a three and out. They got the little bit of run game going and then just disappeared. Now, I understand that teams make adjustments at halftime, and when you've got Jaden Daniels, who is a really good quarterback, you're going to adjust. But it was very clear what the game plan was in the second half. Just run the ball. And Mizzou didn't have an answer for it. And then when they started heave-hoeing it downfield, the actual way to heave-hoe it downfield, they had no... It's like they had no answers on what LSU was trying to come up with because all they needed was one stop. You get one stop, you put the momentum back on your side, and you're probably talking about Mizzou walking away with the victory there. But they couldn't do it. Every single time it was drive down the field. And by the end of that third quarter, you knew that Mizzou was just defeated. You knew it. You could tell from the players. When Johnny Walker got tossed, it's like, yeah, this one's going to be over for. You could feel it. The, the, the moment when I knew. Everybody's bringing up the second one play call. I... Get out of here with that, man. People are mad about it because Missouri, and if you didn't watch the game, Missouri had a second and one situation from the LSU 40-yard line. They decided to try for a deep ball. I have been critical of Eli Drinkwitz for three years now of him not being aggressive enough. He finally gets aggressive, and now people are getting upset with it. No, I don't have an issue with him throwing the ball there. Yes, I understand if you run it, you either force LSU to take their timeouts or you're running clock with a minute 52 to go. I get it, totally. But that's a perfect opportunity to be able to try for a deep pass there. LSU's defense had not been good all day long. Burden had been mostly quiet in the second half. Let's try to get this right here. And worst case scenario, we got two more opportunities to get one yard. I had no issue whatsoever with the second one in play call. The problem was on third and one, your center forgot to snap the damn ball. And so Uh, instead of having third and one, you have third and six, which takes you out of a potential run it and run it again on third and fourth and one. Now you got to throw it on third and six. Your quarterback is drifting back because once again, the offensive line allows too much pressure. And now it's a strip sack. The ball goes 15 yards flinging in the other direction. And it's fourth and 32. There's your problem. There's your ball game. That was where they lost it. One other spot that I hated what Eli Drinkwitz did, speaking of getting conservative, first uh, drive of the second half. Yep. You have an opportunity with a third and five and then a fourth and four, or excuse me, third and four, fourth and four, LSU 27-yard line. You settle for a 45-yard field goal. Alex, we talked about this on Thursday, I think it was. This is not a game where you can settle for threes. If you start settling for three points against LSU, you're going to lose because this offense will not stop. 
They will find a way to get things going. Jaden Daniels is too good to be held down for the entirety of the game. Even if you feel like you're in a good spot, you're not. They are going to continue attacking your secondary, and they will find ways to beat you. While Missouri settles for a field goal there, they end up missing it. It's not me playing the results. I felt the same way whenever the play was actually drawn up. They decide to settle for a field goal. It's missed slash blocked. I think it was just missed, but they said on this TV, maybe it was blocked. I don't know, but whatever. You miss that and you lose the game. You got to go for it. You got to be aggressive. Man. Drink even said it pregame. He said it going into it on the broadcast that if we hold LSU to threes instead of sevens, we're going to win this game. And then you opt to go three instead of seven. Well, yeah, you're probably going to lose that game. I, I, I'm with you. I, I hated that play. I wish you would have just kept that aggressiveness from start to finish. And you got to be aggressive when you're going up against a team that absolutely though it was a top 25 matchup. And though you were very similar in the AP top 25, you are the underdog in that game. And if you're going to beat an underdog, what do you got to do? Got to remain aggressive for the entirety of the game. And you see that as a common theme across college football is the team that's the underdog that's not favored in the game will lose that aggressiveness at some point in the game. And I'm with you guys. I thought that was a missed opportunity from Mizzou. And it felt like that would have been maybe the the army quote of jam the knife in the throat and kill him. Go get a first down there. Maybe you score a touchdown instead of trying to settle for a field goal in the miss. And all of a sudden, all that momentum just completely shifts to the LSU side. Instead of going up at the time, you were up 25-17. So you could have gone up 28-17. Got to go for a touchdown there, man. If you go up by two scores at that point in time, 32-17, to it's a completely different ball game from there on out. And I liked that Eli Drinkwitz was hyper-aggressive on the first drive of the game. He goes out there, you've got the best play calls possible. All of the designs looked incredible, really for the entirety of the first half, but especially on that opening drive. You got Mookie lining up in the backfield, free release. You've got Luther with a stacked release. So we've got a receiver in front of him to make sure that he gets a free release off of the line of script. Like they were just scheming things up like crazy for their dudes to get open. And then you go for the two-point conversion with a play that we had never seen before at Mizzou, and you're able to get that one as well. Everything was bap, 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 bap. Love seeing it all. And then suddenly you shrink up and you get conservative once again in the second half. So the name of the game. It was a tale of two halves. You came out there and played your ass off for a half. And then in the second half, everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and that's both offensively and defensively. Missouri loses its first game, 5-1 and one on the year. If you told me at the end of the first half of the season they'd be 5-1, and one, I probably would have taken it, All dis- full disclosure coming into the year. But the way that it happened, that one was disappointing, the second half of the season. At this point, Alex, for me, I am expecting nine wins. Anything less than that to me would be disappointing because that means that you get one win at least against Kentucky, Georgia, or Tennessee. And I think you need to have one of those three games go in your direction. Otherwise, it's hard for me to say, hey, they went down the stretch, beat South Carolina, Florida, and Arkansas, and I consider this a successful season. I don't. I don't. Not given what you started with. You were 5-0. and You got to get to nine wins this year. Well, the good news is the way that Kentucky played against Georgia, they looked like Mizzou's defense against Woo! LSU. So two teams yeah. that uh, don't know how to play defense, that'll be a fun matchup. I think they're only going to come into this one a little bit ticked off, you know? Oh, yeah, it'll be fine. Mizzou will be pissed off too, right? Hey, T-Bone, did you watch your team this weekend? Speaking of pissed off. Let's go to break. Altmaier running out of time. Going sideline. It's intercepted. Another pick thrown by Altmaier. Quentin Newsom on the stop. And he's down inside the 15-yard line. Yo, my team got a rough go of it this weekend. That's what we call a shellacking. 
Your team is embarrassing, man. Whoa. You are lucky you won that game against Toledo. Is he wrong? Your team should be relegated from the Big Ten. Nebraska. Now he's wrong. I think when you... For Cornhuskers. I would set the over-under on Illinois wins the rest of the way at one and a half. And if you're an Illinois fan and you're mad at me for saying this, you know I'm right. Under. You know it's right. And I don't know how it got this bad this quickly. Your entire identity last year was built into an offensive line, a running game, and a defense that was suffocating. I thought it was going to be the same thing this year. Brett Bielema said, hey, we got a really good offensive line. Left side's great coming into the season. You've got NFL prospects still, especially on the defensive line coming into the year. That defense stinks, man. It is not good. They held Nebraska to 20. Congrats. I heard Nebraska's offense is pretty elite these days. Isn't Jim Leonard there? What happened? How is this team? They lack any identity whatsoever. I'd love to blame it on Altmaier. You told me last week, hey, I don't think it's all on him. I think some of this is just hey, your your offensive line can't give him. You're right. They had fifth, Their leading rusher had 15 rushing yards Good day. against Nebraska, dude. What happened? I I really don't know because, like, I, I thought they'd be worse than they were last year because last year felt like the That's best the they could get for an Illinois program. I thought they would be somewhat close to that. Like, I thought seven, eight wins. Maybe if they get one game that goes their way, they could win eight. I did not see this coming because you're right. They they don't have an identity. They're not good. And I've been saying this since week, what, two, three? They're not good at anything. I, I mean anything. I can't point to one thing and say we're good at it. They can't stop the run. Losing. They don't have a pass. Well, that is true. They don't have a pass rush. Defensively, they're not good all around. Offensively, they can't run the damn football, which is the Brett Bielma special. They can't pass block either, so Altmaier has no time. Like, they're not good at anything. Like, as much as I want to push back and like laugh at the notion of over-under one and a half wins down the stretch, I could absolutely see it, and that's what's sad about it. I mean, the over-under might be one. I think they win at least two more down the stretch, but... They're, they're not going to be a bowl team. Like, this was the game hey, that... No! A bowl hey, team? Hey, you don't got to yell. Everybody, hey, everybody what, makes a bowl. At what point did you Four think they were going to be a bowl team? Yeah. No chance, I mean, dude. really, you got to get to five. Five, you, you might be able to be a bowl team. conference game before I can talk hey. about a bowl game for your hey. team. Hey, Calm con- down. One. One. They hey, can create Missouri, a bowl game. The only reason Mizzou was a bowl team the last two years because they scheduled an FCS program. Okay? Let's calm down Hey, we don't have to talk about the past. I'm not here to talk about that. Yeah, they're not going to be able to. Yeah, that's what I thought. Their team is in. Again, relegation should be on the table. Oh, you shut <laughs> up should, over there. They should be the next Notre Dame where they're only allowed to play in the Big Ten for basketball. No, Maybe no. Illinois and Nebraska at the end of the season can get together and just do their own, like, create a bowl game. Yeah, if like, you hey, combine Illinois us. and Nebraska as football programs right now, go. you might get to a bowl game. There you go. And you just play the all-stars from both teams. Maybe then would you be able to get there. How many Maybe. all-stars? I don't think so. I don't think we loaded up with Nebraska players. Is is there concern for you that this is a longstanding problem with Bielema? Or do you feel like it might be a one-off? Because I I know how you are with the basketball team where you're like, I hate my coach, Brad Underwood, fire him. (laughs) Had one relatively disappointing season. Get rid of him. Do you feel that way about Brett Bielema? (laughs) First off, that was a terrible impression. Spot on, actually. Second off, I said last week on this radio airwave, that I thought this was the beginning of the end for Bielma. So, no, I have not changed my tune. I do think this is the beginning of the end. I don't think he's getting fired at the end of the year. He's not going to be able to recruit and fix all his problems in one offseason. Hey, at least he got a good recruiting class coming in. We do? No. <laughs> exactly. They got a punter, I heard. Uh, no, that was this year. Oh, good. I don't even know if he's the starting punter or not. Oh, he's, probably not he's probably not good either. Um, <laughs> I, it's a great year. I think it is the beginning of the end for Bielma. I, I don't think he's fired this year. I don't think he's fired next year. But when you're 
Bielma, you can't have a season like this Damn, because man, he's not a good recruiter. He's not a good recruiter, so he's not going to be able to fix these problems, and he hasn't hit the transfer portal very well. And they don't. They're not known for spending big NIL mm-hmm. for the football team. At least 48th rated recruiting class right now, right behind Wake Forest for the 2024 you, uh, class. And on the plus side, one of their top recruits was in Columbia this weekend uh, checking out the Mizzou football well, I mean, I can't you, uh, blame them. At least you had last year to live off of. Yeah. You know? Hey, that team will live in my heart probably for the rest of my life. That team was great. Until they laid a bunch of eggs across the wow. back half of the year. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into some NFL quick hitters, including our biggest takeaways coming off of the weekend that was in the NFL. Woo, buddy, Dak Prescott. Not the showing that we were looking for from you last night. But coming up next, Alex, I've got a little bit of um, humble pie that I'm going to serve to everybody that didn't want to listen to me on the roster decisions by the St. Louis Blues. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ortuzo wide open in. Alexandrov shoots, score! Nikita Alexandrov came from the bench. Ortuzo found him. And Alexandrov skates it in and scores. Power play goal, one nothing Blues. He's got skill. You know, we all know that. And again, I thought he had a good game. You know, he was strong on pucks. He skated well, you know, played with some physicality, um, you know, and he had a nice game. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like over the weekend as Nikita Alexandrov scores a goal in the Blues' final preseason game. And since then, Alex, the Blues have made their roster choices. They decided to go the roster management uh, side of things, the, the asset management side of things, if you will. Keeping the former second-round pick in Nikita Alexandrov, he's going to be around. Instead of sending him through waivers, they decided to do so with Nathan Walker, and they're also sending um, Mackenzie McEachern McEachern through waivers as well. On the defensive side of things, we had a pretty good idea of what they were going to be doing there. Callie Rosen is the odd man out. He is going to be sent through waivers. There was a piece over on The Athletic this morning about the top potential waiver claims that could be available. It's like if you do fantasy football, who are the waiver claims that you got to pick up this week? The headliner was Callie Rosen, which Shocker. is just <laughs> her best kiss. defenseman. Uh, plus 19 and eight goals last year. Yeah. Alex, what stood out to you about the decisions that the Blues made when it came to their roster? You said it. It's asset management. I, I mean, Nikita Alexandrov, who uh, Barubi said that he kind of won the spot over Walker and McEachern in that Dallas game, the last road game of the preseason, which I guess would have been what, last Thursday, last Wednesday? And then he backed it up with that goal in the way that he played Saturday against the Blackhawks. So he, in my opinion, was the better of the three throughout preseason, which seems odd to say because up until that Dallas game, you really didn't get much from Alexandrov on the fourth line. Um, But that on top of being a second round draft pick. And look, I, I still think you could have snuck him through waivers. It's just rare that teams pick up players and claim them off of waivers, especially on one way deals. But there's a chance in a second round draft pick a centerman who you're I would imagine projecting to be a fourth line centerman for you in the future you don't want to lose that over keeping a Nathan Walker who had a good camp as well or a Mackenzie McEachern so the forward kind of made sense although I do know how much those players love Nathan Walker it comes down to who are you going to lose through waivers and you might be easier to sneak Nathan Walker through than Alexandra from the defensive side Calero, I mean, I'm a little surprised that it went this way because, again, I think Tyler Tucker could have made it through waivers, but 
I, I, the way that Craig Berube likes to utilize his defensemen, he likes to have role players in certain matchups, and I think Tyler Tucker plays a role that Callie Rosen can't play. Scott Perunovich plays what Callie Rosen does. Yeah, it's the penalty kill stuff. Like, and, and it's dealing with teams that are annoying in front of the net. If we're being honest, I think the decision was actually Robert Bortuzzo or Callie Rosen. Because if you're looking at the way that they're going into the first game, it certainly appears as if uh, Tyler Tucker is going to be one of their starting defensemen. He's going to be that sixth guy in there right now. They appear to have decided on Robert Bortuzzo as the eighth guy, the depth piece. And if that's the decision, it's a no contest. Robert Bortuzzo, A, is a good personality to have inside of that locker room. B, can play in that penalty kill role, can go out there every you know three games and give you an opportunity. That he's the exact type of guy that you want in that depth defenseman role. That's just not who Callie Rosen is. Callie Rosen is the guy that has the good shot that can help you on the power play. And this is not a team that needs as much help in that regard as they do with a stay at home defense. Ka- Callie Rosen, Scott Perunovich. And now that Scott Perunovich would have to clear waivers and he had a decent camp, you're going to keep him there. And I-, I do think if you look at how they play teams, it's going to be kind of a platoon spot, which I know people in St. Louis love that yeah. idea. But when you take on the Dallas Stars, for instance, and you know Jamie Benn is going to be one of those guys terrorizing the front of the net, or Minnesota with Marcus Foligno, Tyler Tucker is going to be in that game nine times out of ten. But when you take on Seattle on Saturday, a team that likes to move the puck more and a team that's going to be offensively inclined, well, you're going to want better puck movers. And that's a game that Scott Perunovich is probably going to play in. So this is the decision that they came to on both sides. And frankly, I think it's smart decisions to keep the growth of these two players. Yeah, it, So much of this is just about age. Absolutely. Nathan Walker's 28 years old. He's going to be 29 this year. These guys are all a part of your team next year. Nikita Alexandrov is 23. Yeah. Tyler Tucker is 23 years old. You're going to keep a 30 year old Callie Rosen over him. I, I just, I never thought that made sense. Yeah. Now, if you want to talk about hey, ro- what about Robert Bortuzzo though? Robert Bortuzzo's 34. He's probably not a part of this team's future beyond this upcoming year. Sure. We can have a conversation there, but I, I think it is a lot easier to convince yourself. Hey, Robert Bortuzzo should be kept on this team over a guy like Callie Rosen. I just, if this team ends up losing games this year because they decided to move on from Callie Rosen, then this team wasn't good enough to be able to win significant games anyways. And then you also would have wanted to keep the younger guys because you're talking about the future again. Right. Speaking of the future, dum dum dum. Did you mean to say Dom when you did that? Yeah, our guy Dom Jeez. put out new projections. Oh, for the good. Blues. The analytics are backing another piece. So, you know Dom over at The Athletic, not a big fan of the St. Louis Blues. Has been low on them each of the past two seasons, if we're being totally honest. He was right about the Blues heading into last year. Alex, we think he's wrong going into this year. He's got them projected at 80 points, which would be a bottom five team in the NHL. According to his numbers, and it's just an algorithm, the games are played on the ice. They are won and lost with blood, sweat, and tears. Are you... Are you- saying that or do you mean that i actually do believe it i I do think sometimes we get too much into the numbers myself included and so i do think like there was a tone there hey man if if this team goes out there you know i'm way higher on the offense than what the athletics numbers seem to suggest i think verona could be a 30 goal scorer this year but he says 76 percent of the time according to his metrics the blues finish in the bottom 10 in the nhl they're a top 10 selecting team once again in 2024 Alex, what I wanted to ask you about is flipping the conversation because I know you're very optimistic about the team. I think there's reason to believe that you should be optimistic about the team. No, it's not because the Blues pay me. They don't pay me. (laughs) If I told you right now, hey, Dom's right the way that he was right last year. They finish in the bottom 10. They're selecting top 10 again in the 2024 NHL draft. What does that mean? 
you failed on roster construction. You failed on players that you bet on that were going to take you out of the cellar. And I know it sounds aggressive, but it means you made the wrong choices on putting all of the money towards Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. These are the guys that are supposed to carry you out of this cellar. That's why you moved on from Perron and Ryan O'Reilly, because these were the next wave. It means you failed on the decision in terms of the contracts that you handed out to Nick Letty to keep him on board with this core of defensemen. I mean, frankly, it looks bad on those two players, Kyrou and Thomas being specific, but it doesn't look great on Doug Armstrong either because this was the roster that you backed. And I understand it's a salary cap era and the flat cap has done that. Those are all ex- those are all explanations, not excuses. Sure. But you backed the wrong horse. You made the wrong decisions in terms of the projection of what the future looked like. So, yeah, if you're there, then massive changes are going to be taking place for the Blues, which Doug Armstrong has said. Credit where it's due. T-Bone said this before the show. I think he's right. I think it changes what you're in. I think you go from being in a retool to officially starting to talk about this as a rebuild. If you end up being in a bot in the bottom 10 of the NHL draft once again this upcoming season. Again, I'm not projecting that. I think they're going to be closer to the playoffs than they are the top 10 of the NHL draft next year. I think Jakub Vran is going to be proven uh, to be a really good pickup from this team from a year ago. I think you're going to see a bounce back at least to some degree from the defensive core. But... If we are wrong and Dom ends up being correct and they're a bottom 10 team in the league again, I think we're going to start talking about, oh boy, I mentioned it last year. Hey, the Sharks did not realize that they were too far gone until they were all the way gone and then they got stuck. I don't think you're in that spot because you don't have the same massive bloated contracts that they had. But you do have some guys that have multiple years remaining on their deals that might be difficult to move off from because of the no trade clauses. That's where things get really difficult. And instead of it being a one, two, maybe three year retool, now you can be talking about a three or four year rebuild. Fingers crossed that is not the conversation that we are having this time next year. I got a couple of texts that says disagree that it would be on Cairo and Thomas. It would be on the defense. And I do agree that was part of the example or explanation to it. But the defense is also at the forward position. And who are your top guys playing every night? It's going to be those two. And it's going to be just as much on them as it's going to be on the defensemen that are playing the game. That's Alex's T-Bone. I'm BK. If you guys want to look, uh, watch us over on YouTube, you can do that each and every day throughout the week. YouTube.com slash 101 ESPN. The studio cams are brought to you by Air Alliance Team. We'll get to questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys have any questions for us. But coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters coming off of a big weekend, especially in the AFC side of things. If you had to look at it right now, have the Ravens actually improved offensively? And what the heck happened to the Bills yesterday? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
alongside Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN coming off of a big weekend in the NFL where I do feel like we learned a decent amount about some of these teams. All right, Alex, let's start with the obvious. Uh, I think it's the headliner. Is it over for New England and specifically for Bill Belichick? <laughs> yeah, did he? Had, Go ahead. He had never lost a game in his NFL career as a head coach by 34 or more. Never until last week. He has now lost back-to-back games by 34 or more points. Their team might be the worst in the NFL right now. You can make the argument, at least. They look poorly coached, which is strange to say about a Bill Belichick coached team. Is this the final season we're going to see the hoodie walking around the sidelines in New England? Yep. And what did he say after the game? Got to change things up. And they said, what do you mean? Got to change things up. That's Bill Belichick not having answers to what's going on right now. Frankly, the answers are you don't have a good enough quarterback to win. Your offensive line stinks and your defense isn't as good as you thought it was. That's the definition of this New England Patriots. And I hate to say it. I I was watching the game with my brother-in-law, who's a big Broncos fan. And he was watching it and he kept saying they're going to have to start over from scratch. And I would say the exact same thing about the Patriots. You're going to have to draft a quarterback, frankly, for them. If they suck, it might be good to get a Caleb Williams to start from scratch. Do not allow that. The NFL cannot allow that. Why? You don't like Caleb Williams? I don't want him in New England. Oh, you'd rather have him in Arizona or Chicago? Yes. Oh, God, what a dumpster fire. And they've had had the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL for 20 bleeping years. (laughs) They screwed it up and let that guy go somewhere else. They've had three bad years, so they got to go back. You don't get to go out. You can't be the Packers. You don't get to have that. That's not fair. You know what you're talking about? Conspiracy theory, which is why they're going to get Caleb Williams in this draft. None of us want that. None of us. Give him to Chicago, dude. Those fans deserve it. They're, They've they're been through so all of the yeah. crap. I don't. I don't think he's going to retire. But the I, leading passers like Jay Cutler in the history of the franchise give them some. Well, give Justin Fields they're a so little bit. They're so poorly run. They don't deserve. Yeah, it. that place is a dumpster fire. More Have so you than New England. At the New England Patriots. It's only been poorly run for three years. Five. Five years. Oh, sorry. The end of the the end of the Brady era was abysmal. They did him dirty. That team is one of the more untalented rosters in the entire every, league. Every time they've had a first round pick and they've had zero weapons on offense, they say, "Well, let's take a linebacker." Let's take a quarterback. Most important that always works. So I don't think he's gone. I think he is, and I think he's going to the Chargers. I think it's happening. I think they're no going to promote hoodies, Gerard Mayo. No more hoodies, though. Oh, you can wear it on the sidelines. It's, it's hot over there, man. It's warm. Nah. You know, it's the partially opened air thing that they've got yeah, going that, in L.A., which is why lie. they have nice uh, breeze. lightning yeah, okay. delays there. I, if Bill's done, I think he retires. I don't. I, I think either. he's coaching. I think he wants to be the winningest coach in the history of the NFL, and I think he knows he can't do it in New England. And he knows he needs a quarterback, which is something that it's the first time in his career that he's had to say that and face the reality of I'm not good enough on my own. I have to go out and get the guy and the guy currently plays in L.A. I think he wants to do it. I think he wants to go somewhere else, either L.A. or Dallas. See, that's where I was going to say. If he's going to go somewhere, it's going to be Dallas because McCarthy's gone after this year. I think it's one of those two spots. I, I, I agree. do think this is the end of Bill Belichick, though, in New England. I, I agree. I, I think he's going to be – I don't know if he'll be fired or not. I think that's probably the route it'll go or it'll be kind of a mutual he resigns. But I think he wants to go somewhere and he wants to be the winningest coach. And I think the Chargers are the team that make all the sense in the world. Now, I will say this. I am raising more questions about Bill Belichick and coaching than I ever have before. Um, so it could be one of those where, like, in theory, it works going to L.A. and it becomes a dumpster fire there. But, hey, it can't get much worse if you're the Chargers. They're poorly coached, too. I, mean, so. I think we're seeing this with uh, Sean Payton. Coach only has so much value when you've got a, a roster that is completely depleted the way that the Broncos are, the Patriots are. The nice thing about the, the Chargers, that team's not depleted with talent. They've got all the talent they need. 
I've got a bad coach. And they, I, I think Bill Belichick, if you're the, if your ownership there and he says, hey, I need $15 million a year, you say, okay. You, you try to make it work, and we'll see what happens. I would I would hate it, too, if I'm Robert Kraft, because to move on from Bill, I, I would try I'd be and, furious if I'm Robert Kraft. You made me get rid of Tom Brady, and now this is yeah, what you've done to my franchise well, over the last five years? But it's also the decision to go with Mac Jones. Like th- That's yeah. just, come on, you should have gone something better than that. That obviously is not working out. All right, let's continue with another team in the AFC. This one also disappointing over the weekend, but they're not a bad football team. What are you guys doing with the Baltimore Ravens right now? We'll get to our pick em challenge results uh, from the weekend coming up in the one o'clock hour. Alex, you and I bet big on this yeah, team and it, it obviously ended horrendously. You'd say they're not a bad team. I don't think they're I think they are just like half of the league right now, which is somewhere in the middle. I mean, they're only they, they don't do anything particularly well. They're also not terrible at anything. That's the problem, though. They don't have an identity right now. Yeah, the Steelers are better at the defense thing. They've got a bunch of teams in the AFC that are better as a passing game. They don't have a particularly good running game. I don't know what the identity of this version of the Baltimore Ravens is. And therefore, I think they're somewhere around like a nine, maybe 10 win team if they're really lucky. I I put them right into the same category as half of the AFC. Yeah, I I mean, I'm with you. They don't have an identity because they thought it was their defense and their defense hasn't been that great. They thought it was their offense, but their offense offense can't stay healthy. Their identity, though, is just not living up to the hype. And this is my biggest concern. I've said it for two weeks that the Baltimore's offense is not entertaining. Like, I know you've got playmakers and Mark Andrews and Zay Flowers, but that's it. And Lamar Jackson doesn't seem to be able to carry his team on his shoulders when he needs to. Best season or best game this year, passing yardage wise. What would you guess the number is? Oh, passing yards in a some, single game. Somewhere between like 200 and 225. 237. Okay, I was going to say about 250. Yeah. I mean, it's in it, him running, he runs so, so like. I'm trying to think of the proper word for it. Carelessly with the ball. I mean, he's creating fumbles and he's throwing interceptions. I just and his running. He hasn't even been a big time runner no. this year. It's it's it feels so kind of conservative, man. but it's because he's had like three fumbles when he's tried to run the ball this season. Yeah. I, I, and I don't blame him. Like you, you should be conservative with him. You don't want him getting hurt the way that he has the last few years. But I don't think man, they win their division that away. It's like the Josh Allen conversation. You can't take out his running game. Otherwise, he's not the same quarterback. But at least he's got an arm. Yeah, true. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for them is, one, the passing game hasn't come together like they thought because, like you said, Lamar's not throwing for 300 yards. They don't have a running game, and part of that's because of the injury early on. But also, like Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, they're not they're not going to be lead backs for you. You need Lamar to pick up the load. And I think the biggest thing for them, too, offensively, and I think it plays into the passing game, OBJ's done nothing. I mean, he had two receptions. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, like yesterday, he's back. Two receptions for 13 yards. You target him four times. That was a huge offseason signing. He's done nothing for I, that. I just remember the offseason hype of the hiring of Todd Munkin and being like, oh, man, he is going to make this offense elite with Mark Andrews and Zay Flowers and OBJ and Lamar. It has been nowhere near elite. Frankly, it's been underwhelming, and I don't see how they even get out of their division. Yeah. Uh, right now, by the way, let's talk about the Bengals. They are plus 470. I, I saw this bet today this morning. I, I'm almost feeling bad about the fact that I'm saying it out loud because you guys are all stealing money from all of the sports books right now. Good. Plus 470 oh. for the Cincinnati Bengals to win the AFC North. That's insanity. They are the they are they have the longest odds to win that division right now. Man, they looked like themselves again over the weekend against Arizona. Now, full disclosure, it's Arizona. Arizona's not a great team, but we talked all week about how Arizona has been a little more feisty than what anybody was giving them credit for coming into the season. 
So to put up 34 points, Joe Burrow to put up a performance like that offensively, Jamar Chase to go for basically 200 receiving yards. Yeah, that's an alpha type of performance that gets me a little bit back on board. It makes me believe, okay, they're not dead yet. And then you look at the rest of this division. Who am I supposed to believe in? Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cleveland? Get out of here, man. I love that bet. Plus 475 for the uh, Cincinnati Bengals to win the AFC North. I don't think they're dead. I think they're absolutely going to be back into the playoffs as the divisional winner in the AFC North. Again. Absolutely. I, they're going to be the winners in that AFC North, which is why I'm so skeptical on the Ravens, because frankly, we just saw the Steelers are better than the Ravens right now. So, um, yeah, I, I would take that bet and put as much money down as possible with it, because I think this past your week, kids future uh, college fund, there's not it. much in there. So they're going to have student loans like uh, daddy and mommy gonna, do. There's going to be a lot more in there after they win the North. <laughs> no, probably not. But seriously, though, uh, they this was the sleeping giant game for them to where I think they woke up and now they're going to start and, running with it. And I think the most encouraging part about it was one burrow was taken off the injury report with the calf and he looked more mobile. And I think that was the most encouraging thing was Definitely. if we were still talking about, you know, he's still on the injury report, still dealing with the calf. They're just dinking and dunking their way down the football field. They weren't, they were playing pretty well. Good. They were playing pretty well. Burrow looked healthy. And I think that's encouraging going into, they've got one more game and then they've got their bye coming Did up. You say dinking and dinking and dunking. No, dinking and dunking. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Come on, Must learn. be what the kids say. Come on, Grandpa. Yeah, Mario. Yeah. Mario. This is so not a Mario mustache. That's a Luigi. Yours You're is a Luigi. Mario mustache. Mine's more tombstone. Oh, you think? Mine's Western. Okay. So that was the handlebars it, with it's it. It's not gray enough, though. Give it time, my man. <laughs> Give it time. Yeah. The third kid. Hey, the by gray. the time you get kid number oh, three, yeah. Oh, yeah. the gray's down here on my chin, which is why it stays shaved all the time. This is still luscious. This still looks like I'm 27. Our baby boy has his first cold right now. I think I'm going to have gray hair by the time that we get done with this cold. Like two weeks from now, yeah. you'll see me walking in. Yep. <laughs> going to be looking. It comes, like- man. It comes quick. T-Bone, your mustache is looking great, by the way. I shaved today, so that's probably why you can't what tell. What do you shave when you shave? Did do you, you just really? shave skin? Yeah. It's just a classic. <sighs> do you just do the upper lip? No, I got to touch up a little bit do on you? the side and under the chin. But okay. yeah. It's not. It's not a long process. Just, this is shaving skin. You don't even need. You don't need any shaving cream for the process. Really? Yeah, obviously. No. Does your razor have blades on it, or does somebody just give you a razor and be like, "Here you go. You can use this." T bone that you give to a kid when yeah. they're younger. It's so. like the fake glasses that you buy, where it's like, "Yeah, put these on. They help your eyes." Sorry, yeah. T bone. Yeah. I wish I could. Mario though there. is so not there. This is beyond Mario. I got my Mario that's coming, yours, in. and I think tomorrow I'm gonna I'm gonna join you, buddy. Yours We're, looks a little Travis Kelsey esque. Oh, nice. Yeah, although he's getting the handlebar mustache too. So El Travador, a BK adores. That's what Travis Kelsey called his mustache. Just to be clear, everybody knows that that was his joke. Nobody should ever name their mustache. Coming up next, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone on BK 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 636. So guys, our T-Bone and Ferrario, I'm glad this is just you, done talking about Georgia losing. They're 35-1 and now in their last 36 games. The team might be okay. Uh, first of all, thanks for not including me in that one. I have been the one that's been trying to tell these guys yeah. all along. Yeah, you're Don't right. Don't doubt Georgia. That team's really good. No, I, I absolutely did not. I thought they were 
down this year. I still think they're a little down. Fortunately for me, so was the rest of the SEC, and they dominated on Saturday. I full credit, dude. They beat the hell out of Kentucky. I think Kentucky's pretty decent. I think there's a this is a really tough game coming up for Mizzou on Saturday. I I didn't see this coming from Georgia. I feel like they've been playing with their food all season long. They finally went out there and dominated a top 25 opponent. Yeah, they're they're really good. I, I'm still partially wondering if that was more of a fraud of Kentucky for being a 24 ranked team. Now, I know Kentucky was great, but I mean, Georgia dominated that one. I still am just not buying into the hype of Georgia. I, frankly, I think Michigan is better than Georgia right now. At least from what I've seen. I agree. I agree with that. And I let's and, go through this actually. Look, you guys want to do this real quick? Talk a little college football here for a moment. It's questions and answers, yeah, man. Dude, it's supposed to be multiple. We're doing a college questions. football. I always thing. do this. This is on yeah, me. You, if you guys want to get mad, you're about, like the fast lane with the six pack. Like, can we get through some questions hey man, first? If we get through three questions and questions and answers for me. That's a good well, day. Stop running your yapper. Teams that we think are better right now than than Michigan. Excuse me, than Georgia. Michigan. We all agree. Yeah. Ohio State. No. No. Florida State. No. No. Oklahoma. No. No. Penn State. No. Washington. I think Washington's better. I would take Washington. Oregon. I think Oregon's better. I'd say better. Oregon's better than I, I think I'm not sure Washington is, but I would definitely say Oregon. I think they're a complete team. I think they're like the third or fourth best team. I think the quarterback makes both of those teams better than Georgia. You know what? I will give credit to Carson Beck. He has been really good. He's the, the reason I'm buying back into the Bulldogs yeah. because I, I looked this up. His QBR, like in the first two weeks when they played UTM and Ball State, his QBR was 60.5 and 54.4. He was the whole reason I wasn't buying into the Georgia Bulldogs. Last two weeks, QBR above 90 against SEC teams and including this beatdown awesome, at Kentucky. Man. He's, he's been really good. He's settling into being the quarterback that they need him to be, and that's why I'm bought in on the Georgia Bulldogs. One last piece of this. Um, I am not being critical of this player. I want to say that up front. However, I think it is a I think it serves as a reminder that the grass is not always greener. Dominic Lovett was one of the best players in the country last year, one of the most productive players in the country last year at the University of Missouri. Decided he wanted to transfer, got some NIL money. Again, good for him. Wanted to go to a contender. Georgia was interested. He decides to make the jump from Mizzou to Georgia. He has 22 catches this year for 200 yards. He has zero touchdowns on the season. He is their fourth leading receiver on the team. Last year, he had 800 yards at Mizzou. And you, I heard RG3 say this on the broadcast. He said that, like, Luther Burden doesn't get this role that he's got with Mizzou right. this season if Lovett's still here, because that was Lovett's. I think they would have flipped him. I think they were going to put Luther in the slot no matter what. And Lovett was yeah, going to be the deep was threat. The, that was what was blocking Luther last But, I mean, year. think about that for how disappointing it was at the time and how we were like, oh, man, Drink's losing this. Frankly, this opened up more opportunities to create space, not just for Luther, but these other weapons as well. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, are you expecting any changes to the Cardinal staff this offseason? And if so, when do you think that they will announce them? I think they will make additions. I think that's the biggest thing that will change about the staff is not so much firing people as it is adding new voices into the mix. I think you're going to see a former player that is added to the pitching coach piece of things. Um, I think that's something that they would like to do. I think you will see somebody that is put in charge of the pitching development more so that is like in a front facing way in the minor league system. I think you will also see somebody that works with their catchers. And I do wonder what happens with the bench coach. That's where I think the change is going to come in. I don't think McEwing's back. I think they have a fresh new face on the bench that Ollie trusts. 
I think it will be, this is purely a guess, all speculation. I want to say that on the front end. I would guess John Jay and Daniel Descalso are at or near the top of his list of who he would like to be on the bench with them. And I think you start with John Jay, especially because of the success that just happened this season with Miami. I would agree with that. I am a little more skeptical if they're going to make a change on the bench coach spot, mostly because they've been saying they don't want to make changes to the coaching staff, and that's kind of a big one. Um, I do think they're going to hire a catching instructor, and I do think they will hire somebody else that's a former pitcher on the pitching side. And I do like your idea of potentially hiring someone that would serve as like the Jeff Albert role for the pitching development in the minor leagues, and he wouldn't have to be the face of as the pitching coach like Albert got forced into being the hitting instructor and being the hitting coach. So... I would also add the Mets are looking for a manager. This comes from uh, Anthony Tacoma, who writes about the team, covers the team for MLB.com. Quote, there's longtime fan favorite Joe McEwing, whose name always comes up on lists like this. McEwing has been a major league coach for years, currently with the Cardinals. He's never been an MLB manager. If it were to happen, McEwing would certainly have uh, former teammate David Wright's stamp of approval in New York. There's no chance. He's the manager I don't know how a team would hire that after the lack of success this season with the Cardinals. That would be the worst move David Stearns could make to start his. And that's not a shot against Joe McEwing. I just want to make that very clear. I was not just running him over with my bus. You kind of did. I know I did, but it was accidental. It wasn't on purpose. Yeah, that's what they all say. But if you're David Stearns, that can't be like his his number one job this offseason is to hire a manager. It's not spending to make them competitive because he's going to sell them on a two, three year plan. If Joe McEwing says hire, Maybe it ends up working out, but he will be crushed in New York and will already start on a negative note. Yeah, I think if you're going to go, if you're Stearns, you got to go a recent former player, like a new manager to bring in because you just did the Buck Showalter experience and it didn't work. I think you got to go a fresh face who hasn't been there before. Just hire Carlos Beltran, man. Somebody's going to do it. By the way, if Beltran wants to get back into baseball and he's willing to come here because nobody else is hiring him as a manager... Dude, I would love to see Beltran on the bench this this upcoming year as the bench coach for the Cardinals. I don't know if he has any relationship with Ollie, um, but if not, the two should get on the phone together because Carlos Beltran is a fantastic baseball guy. I understand stuff went wrong for him down in Houston, and he deserves all of the criticism for that that he's been getting. However, everybody else that was a part of that other than the general manager and Carlos Beltran are back in baseball in some capacity. It's time for Beltran to be back as well. He's going to be a manager eventually. Why don't you go ahead and do it? I think the Mets should do it for their manager job. If they're not willing to, man, bring him here as the bench coach. That would be my personal belief on the situation. All right, coming up in 15 minutes, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You guys get your texts in. We will tell you if we are in or out on your scenario, in or out, coming up at 1215. But next, we're starting to learn a little bit more about who the Cardinals could be connected to this offseason in the pitching market. Derek Gould gave us some insight into that. We'll tell you about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So we all know it's the daily exercise, right? Hey, who are the Cardinals going to sign this offseason, boys? What's who the rotation going to be? Yeah, we're, we're going to do this all offseason, and it continues today with the latest episode being what Derek Gould is reporting in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. So 
Derek had a really great piece over the weekend. I, I highly encourage all of you to go in and read it. It is comprehensive on what went wrong for the Cardinals pitching-wise this year, what has to go right for them to get things back on track in 2024. That is on stltoday.com. Again, go read the entire piece. I'm just giving you a nugget here. There is far more information that is more than worth your time over on the website. So, Alex, he did have some reporting in this. And I think this is important because we've done a lot of speculation on, hey, let's connect the dot. Who is available that makes sense for the Cardinals based on what the Cardinals are trying to accomplish this offseason? What Gould is now doing is saying, okay, I've connected those dots as well. Let me ask around the organization to find out what people inside of the organization are saying. He has previously reported, and we knew this from the outside looking in. I'm not taking away from Derek, but we have heard the same things. Sonny Gray, Aaron Nola, those are two guys that the Cardinals will target this offseason. He added more names to that list over the weekend. He said that Blake Snell is somebody that the Cardinals are likely to be interested in. We'll see where it ends up going in terms of the price. He said there's always been a little bit of an interest in a potential reunion with Jordan Montgomery. It remains to be seen if that interest is reciprocated on Montgomery's side. Then he talked about the international free agent market. He specifically mentioned Yamamoto as a player that the Cardinals are interested in, have a business relationship with his team, and will explore that market as we get there going into the offseason. He did also bring up one other player that we have not discussed from Japan as well. It's a closer from Japan named uh, Yuki Matsui. He's a very good pitcher over there. I think he's 30 years old, if I'm not mistaken. And he said that the Cardinals reportedly have interest in bringing him over as well. So does that mean Imanaga is not... An option. I don't know. He did not specifically mention him as somebody that he can confirm based on his reporting. That does not mean that he's been ruled out. Just means that so far, Gould has not reported, found out that the Cardinals are definitely interested in him. The trade options that, according to Derek Gould's reporting, the Cardinals are interested in. Tyler Glass now of the Rays, one year, $25 million left on his contract. Dylan Cease of the White Sox, no surprise there. We've heard that for about a year now. And then he also brought up the two teams that we've been hearing about since the middle of the season, Seattle and Miami. Call them and say, hey, who is the guy you're willing to trade? And then probably try to work together a package for that player that is available. Alex, when you hear those names, Gray, Nola, Snell, Montgomery, Yamamoto, Matsui, but let's set him in a separate category because he's relief option. Glass now, Cease, Seattle, Miami. Your reaction is what? Great. I mean, I love that these are all of the names that Derek Gould confirmed that are players that the Cardinals are targeting. Because you know what I don't hear in any of these names? A dude who they hope is a three, but is probably a four or a five. Like these are all guys that would be ones and twos in this rotation and legit ones and twos for this Cardinals team. And frankly, this is the aggressive offseason that I wanted to see. Now, what I don't want is them to just get one of this group of names and then go out there and sign some lower end starter and pretend that's going to be a big time upgrade and then move forward with the season. Frankly, looking at this, I'm thinking get one of one of the guys in the major league baseball free agent, one of the guys in the trade. And then if you can add into it, go after maybe not Yamamoto, but the lower end of the international market. But this is an, this is a good start to an off season that I hope the Cardinals can actually follow through with. Yeah. This is the shopping list. I was hoping to see from the Cardinals was going after those top end guys. And now it just comes down to the willingness of how much money you're going to give out and what you what you're willing to give up in trades too, because I think they're going to sign 
at least one in that group, and maybe they try to trade for the other, and then maybe they go with another guy that's on the lower end for that fifth and that's starter still spot. Fine. And that would be a good deal. In fact, I think this trade market is potentially better than what you have in the free agent route as Agreed. well. Like, Glassnell's a better pitcher than everybody that's on that list, mm-hmm. except maybe Blake Snell. I'd argue Blake Snell maybe has better stuff than uh, Glassnell. But I- I'm glad to see that they're at least talking about the idea of shopping around in these markets. Now, I'm a little skeptical of them exploring the Blake Snell and Yamamoto things and also the trade market for Dylan I like Cease. that they're connected to them, though. I, I do, too. I, and it's not it's not like a report from a national person where it is where that is one where it just feels like the name is thrown out there. I, I trust Derek Gould's reporting and trust that he's connected with the front office or the personnel within the front office to know that they're at least on the list for the Cardinals. And now it's going to come down to what that checkbook looks like from DeWitt. What, how much is DeWitt willing to spend and how much is he going to be willing to sign two of those guys? Or is he just going to say... Here's the here's the checkbook, and the Cardinals have to go, okay, well, we can probably only afford one. Now let's go look to international free agency, or let's look to the trade market. I like that they're connected to all of these players, and somebody on the text line, 314-399-9646, says, I'm sorry, guys, but duh, of course those are the names that they're going to be connected to. Not necessarily. You think back to what we've seen in years past. Like, we all wanted the Cardinals to be connected by reporting to the shortstop market. The truth was they never were. Mm-hmm. The truth was the Cardinals said to everybody that would listen, we like our options. We think that we can get through a season with some combination of Tommy Edmond and Paul DeYoung, and we believe that long-term, Mason Wynn is our shortstop of the future. So why would we go out there and sign Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, whoever the shortstop was that you backed it in either of the last two markets? This shows that they feel the same level of aggression that you want them to. When they are connected to these names... This means that they have real, legitimate, tangible interest in the top of the pitching market. And what that means is we should hold them to it. It means that they, if they don't acquire one of these guys, it is because they balked at the prices. And that means they didn't adjust their model after a season showed them they have to adjust their model for pitching for paying these pitchers. That is why this stuff matters, because now we know, okay, they're looking at the right pool of players. Now you have to be aggressive enough to make them interested in you. You can It's like Tinder, right? You can have all the interest in you want, swipe right on every single person. If you've got a crap profile and you you're a like slob, a troll, you're not going to get it. Nobody's going to swipe right on you. If you go out there and you're saying, hey, we've got $3 to sign Nola, Gray, and Snell, I don't think they're going to sign here. Like You can tell them as much as you want about the free zoo and the magic house and everything there is to offer here on the beautiful, great Mississippi. they got a Scooby-Doo exhibit at the magic house right what now. What more could you ask for? Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be enough. Oh, you're <laughs> crazy. I don't think it's going to convince Blake Snell, hey, come on over to St. Louis after you played in San Diego for the past three seasons. When they say, yeah, but I like to live on a coast. You could live right next to the Mississippi. Yeah, we've got a coast. Right next to it. We've got rivers to the south of us. We've got rivers to the north of us. And Think look of at it. this river to the east of us. If you walk through the arch one way, you're halfway to the west coast. And if you walk through the other way, you're halfway to the east coast. What more could you ask for? Don't think that's, that's technically true. true. No, it's fine. It's just you gotta you gotta have a compass that's there. It's fine. Here's the here's the thing with the text message that says, uh, duh with these names. I could agree, duh, with the Major League Baseball free agents because we've talked a lot about, it, of course, it's Gray, Nola, Snell, Yamamoto's there. The trade is the one that got me my my interest spiked because Dylan Cease, we've talked about, we've gone back and forth with, but I mean, we mentioned Tyler Glass now, not in terms of like, oh, it would be, it, it not that they would trade for him, but it would be fun if they could. 
And then now we're back to the Seattle-Miami conversation. That's the part where you look at it. But you're absolutely correct. When you look at these names, how are you going to convince Aaron Nola to leave Philadelphia, who is a yearly contender for a World Series, to come to St. Louis? How are you going to get Yamamoto, if that's the guy you want, to agree to come here where he's seen the success from all of these other international free agents that have signed? How are you going to convince, although you don't really need to do convincing in terms of trading for one of these guys, convince these guys to stay. This is the biggest challenge for the Cardinals. It's not so much targeting the players. It's piquing their interest of St. Louis. And frankly, what this past season was with all of the soap operas that took place between Tyler O'Neill and Wilson Contreras and Jack Flaherty, that is going to be the biggest challenge that John Mozeliak and company are going to have to accomplish. Somebody on the text line asked an interesting question. You guys willing to risk it with another trade with Tampa? Ah, sure. Yeah, what can go wrong? Yeah. Fool me once, fool on you, you know? Shame on you? No, fool you. What? What? <laughs> would you would you explore scenarios with Seattle first? So that way you don't have to go back to the Miami well, or Tampa well. I, I, I think Seattle's got better pitchers, so I would go that route first How regardless. You, let me ask this way, then. I, I like the way that you framed that, Alex. If you had to rank your options from Seattle, Miami, Tyler Glass now, Dylan Cease terms of thinking about what's available from those teams but also what you probably have to give up in those respective trades how would you rank them one to four seattle miami dylan cease tyler glass now seattle glass now cease miami and here's why miami's last because skip schumacher knows my team (laughs) and anybody i trade there i'm gonna go oh bleep did he just rob us blind for this whereas the other ones they probably know my team, which is, I forgot who told us this, but like if another team knows your team better then you've got problems. Um, but I would start with Seattle because they've got the best assets that can help right away. I would then go glass now because I think he comes in as a number one for you. And then I would go cease before I would touch Miami. I think I agree with that exact ranking. See, I would go glass now one because you said what you have to give up. Yeah. And I don't think you're giving up a lot to get glass now. Because the he's got only is one year. Injury questions and I, one year. I, I, You're not I giving know, up a I lot know. now to Tampa, but in two years he's yeah, going to be Babe Ruth in the postseason. I, in three years, we're going to lose that trade by <laughs> you know a lot. Who made one, right? Who Tampa? Yeah. No, because of someone that I don't know Dylan a lot Carlson. about. <laughs> oh, I was going to oh, say well, Dylan Carlson. I feel um, like he's the exact type of player they would target. I, a perfect platoon option that like fills in at first and in the outfield and at DH ends up hitting 25 home runs from them and everyone's like, next year. Yeah, the Cardinals made another 100%. bad move. They'd find a way to tweak his swing just enough to get him to be like a 280 hitter next year. Oh yeah, that that's the guy they would want. I, I still would say Tampa Bay would be number one for me because I think in terms of what you're giving up, I don't think it would be a ton. And I think Glasnow's got better stuff than everybody else God, that on guy's this good, list. Man. Mm-hmm. He's um, so good. I would put Seattle at two. Just because I think like Logan Gilbert would be the number one target there from them. And he's got really good stuff. His stuff's not as oh, good yeah. as Glass now, but you're going to have to give up a lot. And I almost lean towards putting Cease at three. I agree with you 100%, Alex, that Miami would be four. And I I think there's a lot of truth to the fact that Schumacher's there. Um, I, I almost put Cease at two because I'm not sure that they're going to be taking a lot of major league talent. I think they're going to be looking for more prospect packages than anything because they're about to enter a rebuild on top of a rebuild. And they're not going to need major league talent. What they're going to be looking to do is just gain as many prospects and the nice as possible. Thing for the Cardinals is that they've got some of those yeah. guys now. Like Yvonne Herrera is somebody that if you wanted to include him in one of these packages, I think has real value across major league baseball. Especially the guy with Chicago, had a really good season as a hitter this year, and has apparently 
taken his game to the next level when it comes to what he's doing defensively behind the plate. I don't think he's a, like a plus defender, but he could be adequate for somebody that has value around Major League Baseball. You add in what you've got now pitching wise, you have added some real talent. Maybe a Gordon Graceffo or Michael McGreevy. Maybe those guys are not throw-ins, but included in a package to somebody else now that you've got TK Roby and Tink Hintz behind them that are coming through, and you're about to add so much pitching this offseason to potentially block those guys that I just mentioned. You've also got the middle infielders now that you can work with as well. You've got uh Sajacy who was brought over and Prado both of whom had pretty good finishes to the season. I think Sajacy is going to have very big value in a trade if you wanted to go that route as well. So Can I get Luis Roberts with Dylan no. Cease? No, you don't need another. Right? He's apparently what? their one untouchable right now. Well, yeah. I think you should reconsider Chicago. Yeah, no, Do, it. Totally Do it. With Three, you. two, one, trade him to me. Yeah, that guy, I would trade for him in a heartbeat. Unfortunately, it would require you to give up Jordan Walker, and I don't think anybody wants to do that. Can I interest you in Nolan Gorman? No. Well, Chicago. Gorman's the starting point for Cease. Chicago, you By need to... That's the starting point. I'll call up and then Seattle we can have then. Conversations for, and he's that's also what, the starting point there. Fine, but that's I'm getting more bang for my buck with Logan Gilbert than I what I'm thinking I with Dylan Cease. He's the one that I can't put my finger on, but we'll talk a little bit more about him coming up in the one o'clock hour. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Can we restart it? <laughs> Headphones weren't on. Just talking. It's a Monday, buddy. Can we restart it? That's Alex. He's T-Bone. I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of in oh, or out. No. So upset with myself, guys. In or out, the Philadelphia Phillies are going to do it again and win the World Series this year. In there, can you believe this? And Atlanta is just what the bleep just happened. And frankly, I don't buy into anybody in the American League. And so, yeah, if Philly get through this, Philly's winning, which is great for baseball. Three nothing, and they didn't have Wheeler or Nola on the mound. That was your game, Atlanta. That was the one. It's at home. And they had Strider on the mound. You've got your best dude. They've got Ranger Suarez on the mound. Ranger. That's the one that you got to get. And then from there, you know, you piece things together. You figure it out. Now you've got Max Freed, who we have no idea what he's going to look like. He's coming back from a serious blister issue. I'll be fine. And then they have basically nothing left in their rotation for the next three games after that, other than when Strider is once again available for them. Or in their bullpen. Buddy, this could get a little dicey for the Atlanta Braves. The offense that we all said all season long, for good reason, is one of the best that we've ever seen in the history of baseball. I'm in on this. I think Philadelphia is going to do it. I picked them coming into this series, and this weekend gave me nothing but motivation and optimism that they will be able to make good on that prediction. T-Bone? I'm out. I I don't think they're going to win the World Series. Could they get there? I think they could, but I don't think they're going to win it. I I still believe that either Houston, although last night was not encouraging from Valdez, or Texas is going to be the team that's going to win it. Those two teams look incredible, and also don't 
don't discount the Diamondbacks. I I brought yeah, them up. It's a good point. Last week before they played Game One against the Dodgers, their offense is clicking, and they've got a top two in their rotation in Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen that is really good. So I'm going to say out on this for now. Could they get there? Yes, but I don't think they're going to win it. Alex, in or out, boys? It is time to put some damn respect on Brock Purdy's name in. I guess I'll be in. You know, MVP right now. T-Bone, you, you go ahead and kick us off here because we've been talking, me and Alex, about how Brock Purdy gets disrespected because of his draft position for quite a while now. You have been one of those people that I, I believe has been not just disrespectful, but I, I would say like to the point of... Okay, calm down. You've been disrespectful. Yeah. Towards Brock Purdy. Frankly, a public apology for using would be my eyes. not enough for you. Ten yards per Look, attempt. There were four touchdowns, no picks last night against one of the best defenses in the NFL. Still has not thrown an interception this season. There were well, yeah, when you're dinking and dunking, you're not gonna throw an interception. There it is again. My there, dude has there thrown was, for thirteen hundred yards in five there, games. Against throws, a really good Dallas defense. Those throws he made last night where he's going over the linebacker, in between the linebacker and the safety yeah. to hit his wide receivers. I saw him miss a couple of those early on in the year. Last night he was on, and I, I'm bought in. I'm not saying he's going to win the MVP. He'll be in the conversation probably. But last night he wasn't missing deep throws. I Early on in the year I saw him miss a couple of open open throws deep down the field. Last night he was on. If he continues to do that, he's going to be the franchise guy for the 49ers for a long oh, time to come. Oh, you can write that off. He's already that. I was going to say, I, he'll have a contract extension by the end of the year. He, I think three he years looked in is legitimate. when you're eligible. But oh, he's really? going to get one, yeah. He, he looked like a legitimate franchise caliber quarterback that's not even just a franchise caliber quarterback a difference maker of a franchise quarterback yesterday would you say he looked pretty good no because it's a terrible dad joke and you've been using that for quite a while <laughs> time to get some new material yeah. are you, are you kidding on, me well, look when it's given to you on a silver platter like that you got to take it in or out the 49ers are definitively the best team in the nfl right and I don't, I don't know if Miami's going to be able to handle that and that's the team we all assume is going to be able to take care of san francisco they won't <laughs> Yeah, I'm in, and I couldn't help but think last night watching that game, I want to see San Francisco-Miami in the Super Bowl. Oh, God, that'd be fun. Yeah, I, I'm all in on that. I say that as a Chiefs fan, that is obviously uh, hoping that the Chiefs make it to the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, because I'd like to see Taylor Swift on the big stage. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. That'd she be won't cool be there. Too. I think it might be. And over. Usher's Steve performing. Oh. In or out, the winner of this weekend's Washington-Oregon game will make the college football playoff. In. In. 100% in. I think those are the two two of the three best teams in the, in college football right now. Do both still get in? Probably not, right? I think you might be able to get two from the Pac-12, but it is an uphill battle. It would yeah. require Oklahoma to lose and trying to think who else would have it, to lose. It like, would require, well, also that, but it would require to have what happened to Alabama, what was that, two years ago? where they went undefeated, and then their one loss was in the championship to Georgia. Yeah. You would have to essentially... You'd have to avenge that loss in the yeah. championship game. Yeah. Uh, you'd need Florida State to lose, because I... I'm going to go ahead and write my wrong. I think Georgia's probably going to get there. And uh, one of the Big Ten teams will get there from the East, Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State. And then that leaves the opportunity for maybe both of those teams from the Pac-12. But that's the only way it happens. They've got to have one loss the entirety yeah, of the But season. I think the team that comes out victorious this weekend, uh, it's pretty much set in stone that you'll be in the college football playoffs. Still a lot left to do. Oregon's schedule is not exactly easy. They've got Washington State, Utah, USC, and Oregon State still remaining this year. And on the Washington side of things, you've still got USC, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State as well. So it's not the last test. The Pac-12 is damn good this season. Um, 
but I, I do think that the winner of this game will end up in the college football playoff. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Dak Prescott can now be considered a choke artist and is the reason why Dallas will not win a Super Bowl. And I mean, we've said it year after year after year, and as much as I believe Mike McCarthy's to blame, you also got to blame the quarterback that's making these decisions. And Dak Prescott, like I, I know the offensive line wasn't at full strength, but when that dude gets under pressure, and we talk so much about Josh Allen, like when he gets under pressure, he just makes bad decisions. Dak Prescott felt like he was just heaving it in the air and seeing if somebody came down with it, which typically it was San Francisco. So, yeah. <laughs> and last week when he when he threw that pick in the end zone, yeah, Dak Prescott's a problem. Trey Lance. I, <laughs> I, I think I'm in. And you know who Dak kind of reminded me of yesterday? Jared Goff. To where he can be a quarterback that plays really well oh, in the man. right circumstance with the with the weapons you know around why I him. I hate what he just said because he's right. Yeah. And then when it gets to the biggest stage, and you, not just the biggest stage, but when you start to put pressure on him, he can't make that play like a Patrick Mahomes can, where he can kind of avoid the pressure, then make that dazzling play. That's not in Dak's game. Dak's like a perfectly fine quarterback if you're in a transition. I don't know if he's the guy that's going to guide you to a Super Bowl. Dak Prescott is like a top 10 to 12 quarterback in the league, and that is the worst place to be sometimes as a team because then you have to have everything else right around you. Here's the thing. I I don't think Dak Prescott is all that dissimilar from Brock Purdy. I think one of the big differences between, like if you flipped Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy last night, you just flipped their gear, right? One plays quarterback for the other team, the other vice versa. I think the same team wins, and I think it looks pretty similar to the way that it did last night. I think they're not all that dissimilar in talent. Problem is, Brock Purdy has a great team around him. I mean, look at the weapons. George Kittle is like the fourth most utilized weapon in the passing game offensively most weeks for the 49ers. And last night, he looked like the best tight end in the NFL. You've got Brandon Ayuk, who is never discussed by anybody nationally. It's like a top 30 receiver in the league right now. Debo is amazing top 15 guy at wide receiver. And you have the best running back in the league by a country mile. That's the, oh, and by the way, maybe the best offensive line going right now. So, yeah, if you gave all of that to Dak Prescott, I think he would look really good. Hell, put him in Detroit the way that Jared Goff is right now. He'd look really good the way that Jared Goff does currently. But you need everything around you to be going well. Their offensive line is going to pieces right now. It's a lot of injuries going on. Their running game has seemingly completely disappeared once again. And they have one pass catcher that you can trust, and it's C.D. Lane. Yeah, I heard him talk yesterday about Brandon Cooks and how this guy like needs to start making his money worth because he just is like he's nine catches on the season. And they've been using him like in jet sweeps, and that's it. And it's like, that's not what you paid him for. Here's the thing, though. If I'm starting a team, I'm picking Brock Purdy and Jared Goff over Dak Prescott any day of the week. Yeah, I I mean, Jared Goff, I'd feel a little uncomfortable with. I'd take Brock Purdy in a heartbeat because at least I know those guys, when you get into a bad spot, they make a play. Dak Prescott's not. The reason why I'm not doing that yet, because I haven't seen Brock Purdy into a bad situation yet. He's exclusively been in one of the best situations in the NFL. It's not to take anything away from him. It just changes when you've got guys that are out. And with Jared Goff, we were saying the same thing about him two years ago. Everybody was talking about this Dallas Cowboys defense coming into the season of how great they're going to be well, now that the they've defense, got Lamb. Not the offense. No, I'm sorry, the offense. I didn't mean to say defense there. When you talked about CeeDee Lamb, when you talked about Cooks and Pollard and how McCarthy was calling all the we plays. Were wrong. I think we were wrong because the quarterback's not good. And I would go we're wrong because the supporting cast isn't as good as we expected. And the coach, who we all had questions about, has not helped them. Yeah, Mike McCarthy has put them. He has been a net negative so far this season, and he's on his way to being fired because the goal this season is not to win 12 games. It's to win the Super Bowl in Dallas. 
And they're going to potentially do neither of those two things in part because of him. I, I would say it's a blend of all those things. I don't know if I would point to one. Like, I think Dak's got to be better. He's underperformed, I think, for most of the season. And I, I think the offensive weapons aren't as good as we thought. I thought Brandon could have a huge year in this Same. Dallas system. Um, and then, like, McCarthy, like, that one we always knew. But I, I think it's a blend of all three. And when all three blend together, they make one big issue for the Dallas Cowboys. That's T-Bone. He's Alex. I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you guys want to check us out on YouTube, you can do exactly that each and every day from 11 to 2 and really all day long here on the station. 101 ESPN STL is where you go to find us. We are br- presented by, on the studio cams, Air Alliance team. Coming up next, here's a question for you guys. Who is currently the fourth best team in the AFC? I think everybody would agree. Miami, Buffalo, Kansas City, in some order, are the three best currently in the AFC. Who would you have at number four? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, I'm BK. All right, let's get back into the NFL, boys, because I've got a big picture question in the AFC. I think everybody would generally agree in some order, Miami, Buffalo, Kansas City. So the three best teams so far in the AFC. I think the NFC is not all that hard to find, figure out. You got San Francisco, Philly, and then everybody else is somewhere behind them. You could put Detroit maybe in that category. I would have them as the third best team and then probably Dallas as four. But the AFC I find to be more interesting because we thought there were going to be like seven or eight teams battling to be in contention with the three that I mentioned. And most of them have fallen well short of those expectations. Alex, as of today, who would you have as the fourth best team in the AFC? Cincinnati. And it's an easy decision for me because I don't see any of these other teams that have been impressive enough. And I understand Well, the Cincinnati Bengals have been the least impressive out of many teams in the AFC agreed wholeheartedly, but I know the talent is there And on the other side of things, I'm not sure I can say that. Like, the Chargers have all the talent in the world, but I don't trust their coach. The Baltimore Ravens have a lot of talent, but I don't trust their quarterback or their offensive coordinator. And then you go to the AFC South, Jacksonville hasn't been anything to sit there and act like that's the fourth best team. In one game, I saw the eliteness of the the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of Burrow being healthy, Jamar Chase being open. He told us that, like 7-11. And frankly, they've got all of the weapons offensively. So yeah, I would say Cincinnati. I, I think I agree, but I would give serious consideration to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this is more of a projecting looking forward than it is looking at Anybody them right now. that you say to, to answer this question is a projection. Yeah. <laughs> Especially uh, for the fourth best team. I, I, Jacksonville has too many good weapons to not be in this conversation, at least offensively. And I think Doug Peterson will get everything kind of figured out for them. They played well against the Buffalo Bills this past week. And Travis Etienne played really well carrying the ball, 136 rushing yards as well. So I would give serious consideration to the Jaguars. But if Joe Burrow's healthy and he looked healthy this weekend against the Cardinals, I think they're clearly the fourth best team in the AFC. I mean, they've got the weapons to do it, and he was able to put up this performance without T. Higgins in the lineup. So I I think the correct answer is the Cincinnati Bengals with the Jacksonville Jaguars just kind of right behind them in the rearview mirror. Can I give you guys the list of teams in the AFC that currently have better odds than Cincinnati to win the conference? This is according to the FanDuel Sportsbook. So Kansas City is currently the favorite, two and a half to one. No surprise there. Miami next at five to one along with the Buffalo Bills. They're currently tied. Same odds to win the AFC this year, both at five to one. 
And then from there, Baltimore at seven to one, the Chargers at 11 to one, along with the Jaguars at 11 to one. And how about this one? The Cleveland Browns have better odds currently to win the AFC than the Cincinnati Bengals. The Browns are at 14 to one. The Bengals are then at 16 to one. And then it falls off a cliff, as you'd expect. Pittsburgh, Tennessee, both right around 30 to one. And then it's like your long shot, 55 or uh, or uh, lesser odds. Tennis, uh, you got Indy, the Jets, Raiders, all the teams that aren't winning the conference this year. I would take the Bengals over the Ravens, Chargers, Jaguars and Browns right now. I yeah. just. I don't know how I could possibly trust any of those teams more than I trust Joe Burrow and the team that I've seen do it in the playoffs. I don't think that the Bengals are going to be a great regular season team. I think their ceiling's like 11 wins this year, and that is pushing it to get there. But I expect them to win 9-10, to 10, get into the playoffs, and much like what we've seen with Philly this year in the postseason for Major League Baseball, if you get in, that's the team that I trust. I don't want to face that quarterback, that defensive coordinator going into the postseason. Hell no. And with what these AFC teams have been, man, they're all inconsistent. Any given week, I could see Kansas City not having a wide receiver touchdown and having like 50 yards combined by their receivers. That's a team that's beatable. Miami, for all of the great things that we've seen from them, just looked like dog crap a week ago. And the team that beat them, made them look terrible, just went over to London and got the crap beat out of them by Jacksonville. So all of these teams are flawed in one way or another. Cincinnati's going through their struggles right now. The AFC had a chance to bury them with the start of the season. They haven't. They're one game back. They're right in the thick of things once again. I fully anticipate them being back in the mix. And if Cincinnati lays an egg this week, then, you know, in my opinion, might change a little bit on this because if I see a couple of these other teams, Jacksonville back it up and then the Ravens and then, you know, maybe if you take a look at what the Chargers do and the Bengals lay an egg, then yeah, sure. But for some reason, that game yesterday for Cincinnati felt like it was the moment the Giant woke up. You just needed to feel it. You needed to see, okay, hold on. Is Joe Burrow just going to be bad this year? And if so, cool. Like, we can go ahead and take that in, and we understand it, right? Some guys have off years, especially when they're hurt. Or is this a situation where it's going to take him a month to get himself right, and then the second half of the season, he's going to be the same old Joe Burrow, and he's going to be hitting Jamar Chase all over the place? Well, yesterday we saw he's going to eventually be the same guy. Next week, if they beat Seattle, I fully expect them to go on a run in the second half of the season. They'll be three and three going into their bye. You couldn't have asked for much more from them with Joe Burrow being as limited as he has been so far. Yeah, I just I look at Cincinnati and I say two weeks of getting into the rhythm and Burrow being healthy. You're right back in the conversation of fighting with Buffalo and Kansas City for that second spot, because I don't think anybody's going to unseat the Miami Dolphins at that crown of being the best team right now in the AFC just because of how dynamic that offense is. But Cincinnati has two more weeks of this where Burrow and Chase are on the same page. Defensively, they're not anything that's going to overwhelm you, but you know they're always in games. I'd put them right there with Buffalo and Kansas City. I, I 100% agree with everything that you just said there. I, I They had to go one and one in these final two games before they're by. 100%. And, and that was before we even saw Joe Burrow look healthy. I Because if they go 0-2, they lose to Arizona, they lose to Seattle. Like I think that would have been enough to just kind of put the nail in the coffin or at least start to have that conversation. They did what they needed to do. They got a win. They looked good doing it. And I actually expect them to beat Seattle this coming week. Like I I think that that, to your point, I think the Giant has awoken. I think it's all just because Burrow's healthy. I, I think the biggest thing that was slowing them down was that calf injury. He couldn't move. And then when the pocket starts to collapse, he can't buy himself more time. And that was the biggest issue for the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, final thing that I wanted to get to here on the NFC side of things. I mentioned Detroit. Maybe you could put them into the category with um, Philly and San Francisco at this point. 
Where are you guys at with the Detroit Lions? They're four and one on the season. They looked great offensively yesterday, despite not having two of their top offensive weapons with Jameer Gibbs being out and Amon Ross St. Brown wow. missing the game. Jameer Gibbs really isn't a weapon. Dan Campbell doesn't know how to use them. <laughs> Fair point. But Laporta, a local product. Yeah. Amazing game for him. He's been outstanding so far this year. They beat Kansas City in that opening week. Didn't look overly impressive, but hey, man, again, we gave them full credit after that. They deserve it. That's the type of game that they've lost in previous years. They lose week two against Seattle. They haven't really played much of anybody since then. Atlanta, Green Bay, Carolina, they don't really play a ton of contenders like the rest of the way for the most part. Tampa, Baltimore, Vegas, the Chargers, Bears a couple of times, Green Bay, North, like it's not a very imposing schedule. Where are you guys out on Detroit right now? I think they're a top three team. And my tears of the 49ers being all by themselves at number one. And then I think Detroit's right there with Philadelphia and Dallas. But I would have Detroit ahead of Dallas, if that makes sense. Like I, agree. I think it's San Francisco, Philadelphia, and then Detroit. Because now I'm I'm kind of bought out on the Dallas Cowboys. I, I think Dak Pre- Prescott is a concern. The defense is going to struggle now without Trayvon Diggs. And I don't trust the coach. Whereas, I know what the identity of the Detroit Lions yeah. is. I know exactly what to expect from them De- week to week. How they're going to play. The aggressiveness with which they will play. What to expect out of their quarterback. What goes well. What does like? I know all of those things about about Detroit. All of their weapons. I don't know that about Dallas. Yeah, and think about all of their weapons. I mean, you just mentioned them, but like we're talking four wide receivers deep before we even get into the conversation of oh, they're going to have problems. And now you've got two running backs, and you've got a great tight end, and you've got a decent offensive line that keeps Jared Goff up. Really good. Yeah, I, I don't. I would say Detroit, and I'm frustrated that we don't get to see a Detroit-Philly in the regular season, but I think Detroit and Philly are battling it out for that number two spot. I wish we could see Detroit-Philly or Detroit-San Francisco. I just want to see them against one of those top contenders. We saw them against Kansas City, but that was a depleted KC. They didn't have Travis Kelsey in that game, and it was the first game with all these young wide receivers. Just a weird game overall. Again, I'm not taking anything away from Detroit, but it was a strange football game. The rest of the way, like... I think they run the table the rest of the way. I mean, there's there's one game against a contender, and it's at Dallas, and that's not until December 30th. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, 12 weeks away from seeing that. These teams are all going to look quite a bit different by then. So it, it, that is the one thing that stinks, is we're not really going to be able to measure them against the top of their conference until we get to the postseason, and then we find out if they can actually do it. Yeah, and I wouldn't take them in any head-to-head matchup going into the postseason. I... I think they're that clear. We're the favorites in the second tier, but I don't. I don't think they've got enough to get over the top in that first tier. Like I think Philadelphia would shut them down, and I think San Francisco. Is this would your shut hatred them down. toward Jared Goff? No, no, because like I think I don't know what to do with Philly right now. I'm not I, buying I think Philly, Philly has underperformed relative yeah. to expectations. Some of this is like, hey, last year if they were the exact same team as they've been this year, it came as a surprise, and so we were like, whoa, Philadelphia, look how great they. And this year, because you come in with expectations and you're not beating the doors off of everybody. We're like, oh, that's that's not the same team as we saw last year. I think Jalen Hurts has regressed a bit. I don't think he's been bad, but I think he's been just okay for most of this season. Um, their passing game just looks like it's missing a little something. I think Steichen leaving has clearly hampered them a bit in that regard. But the running game is legit, and the defense has been pretty solid for the most part this year. I, I think they've taken a little bit of a step back, and the 49ers have taken a step forward. I'd agree with that, but I I don't think Detroit's taken enough of a step to surpass the Eagles. I I think they would lose to them. I think they're I think the Eagles and the 49ers, those are the two teams that are ahead of Detroit. They're clearly in tier one. I think we can all agree on that. And I think Detroit's clearly the class of tier two. I mentioned by the way how we don't see Detroit really play against contenders. Have you guys looked at Philly's schedule? <laughs> Holy hell! So 
This week, they've got the New York Jets. Take care of business. Get out of there. Pass, fail, grade, whatever. Don't show anything of significance. Next week, Miami. Two weeks from then, Dallas. By week. At KC. Coming off of that one on a Monday Night Football game. And then you turn around. Home game against Buffalo. Home game against San Francisco. Road game against Dallas. It is contender after contender. Heavyweight battle every single week. And all of those games are either... 3 o'clock primetime or legit nighttime primetime solo game. So we're going to find out if this Philly team is up to snuff coming up in the next month or so. Uh, whenever we see them go up against some of these legit contenders around the NFL. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, are we really already doing this with the baseball playoff format? We're really questioning if we need to change things after one bleep and weekend of it. We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. The Junk Shore is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. T-Bone on BK. you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex Casa de Kylie right now is going through a bit of a crisis. Oh, no. So What happened? First of all, on... Somebody s- steal your patio furniture? <laughs> yeah, no, not this time around. We've, we've got some covers. <laughs> Tied those down. Uh, yeah, we, we decided to make some changes around our house. <laughs> uh, but, and the neighbors that... They, they, well, they're they moved on. Yeah, they, they were evicted. So that was... That was <laughs> okay, so they are culprit A then. Good. Yeah, good, uh, good decision for all parties good. involved. So... On Saturday, we went to a dear friend of ours from college, their their wedding. Uh, Congratulations to the Millers. We're all very happy. So we go to the wedding, and we go out afterwards for just a little while. I didn't get sloshed or anything. I was mostly drinking. Well, you shouldn't. You're a father now. (laughs) I was mostly drinking Mick Ultras throughout the night. Wasn't anything crazy. Cactus line? No. You know me, man. Just classic. An idiot. Classic McUltra guy. I uh, had some uh, Golden Light out at a bar that we went to in South City. Met a few of our listeners out there. It was fantastic to see them. So, reason I bring any of this up. I get home. I feel fine. Go to bed. Wake up the next morning. Alex, I have never felt worse. My stomach hurt. My head hurt. Man, you're getting I had old. a hangover from hell. I realized in that moment, I don't think I can hang anymore. Yeah. And the reason why this is a problem is because I am now a father. So I woke up the next morning thinking I can do the same things that I always do, right? Like, all right, I'll get up, 7 a.m., baby boy's ready to go, we'll hang out, do our thing, right? Uh Uh-uh, no siree. Woke up, hung out with him for a little while. He is just going way quicker than what I'm able to handle at that exact moment. (laughs) I wanted nothing to do with it. Felt horrible about it for every second of it. I realized in that moment, I can't do this anymore. I can't hang, I'm out. So, project forward about 24 hours from that. I thought this was the start of your public apology to me for giving me crap about always wanting to go to bed by 9 o'clock every nope, night. No, nope, no, nope. Still not there. Well, we knew he couldn't hang when he was, you know, sleeping with his this head morning, where his feet should be. About 3 a.m., the wife comes in. Hey, I think baby Luca has a cold. I said, oh, why do you think that? And then as I asked the question, he, hurt you! And... It's not just nice. right down the face. Nice. Like, ah, never mind. You don't have to answer. Yeah, Lucas, answer Lucas like, want to ask again, Dad? <laughs> He's like, hey, take this to the noggin. I got round two. So she takes him to the doctor a little bit earlier today. He's got a cold, no RSVP, no COVID. We're in the clear in that regard. 
So here's my problem, Alex. Kara's sister has a bachelorette party this weekend. Yeah. They are leaving on Thursday morning. I have been told day three to five is the worst for a three-month-old cold. So if you uh, do a little bit of math, drop the number, carry the one. Hold on. Let me get my BK Excel sheet. I will be taking care of baby boy solo Thursday through Sunday while we are in the prime oh, yeah. of his cold. As a father of two who has dealt with your fair share of colds, Alex, what am I in for oh, right you're now? Bleeped. You're bleeped. That's stay away from the, the alcohol. Make sure you get a good night's sleep because it's going to be one wild ride. The good news is when he's sick, they will nap. But he, the, can't, he can hardly breathe, though. But that's what I'm saying. The naps are very naps. short. The naps are very short. Breastfeed and give milk like crazy because I have learned that uh, breastfeeding and the breast milk is so good for curing illnesses. Like Katie, have kept, you ever taken a shot of the no, breast milk to keep no, yourself good? I, uh, I unfortunately have not. I've only sipped the breast milk, and I was like, not for me. Yeah, a little sour. I'm get, I if I come down with a cold, I'm not above it. Oh no, yeah, I'm I, not above it. Yeah, no, I'm not above it. T Bone standing over there, like, what the hell is going on in this room? Hey, you do you, man. Hey, man, if it gets you, if it gets healthy faster. If there's anything I know about BK, he's gonna have a cold. Yeah, if it gets you healthier, <laughs> you're not wrong. I can already feel it coming on a little. Nailed bit. it, nailed it. But yeah, no, you're you're in for uh, you're in for a world of hurt, my friend. Especially if he's a if he's a crier. Is he a crier? He's normally not. We've seen today. It's been a little bit of a. Not crying, but like a little more fussy. We've been incredibly lucky, so I knew something was coming for us. That's why Adelaide was like, she would have a cold, and you'd be like, she's fine. Like, she'd have 101 fever, and she'd be walking around like no big deal. Emma, on the other hand, when she gets sick, dude, it's like, I, I mean, it's screaming nonstop. It's like a banshee in our yeah. bedroom. It's like, what is going on right now? Somebody on the text line said, be ready to fight him to get the snot out of his nose. Yeah, we've already had a you little bit the, of that the experience. the nose sucker? Yeah, I, I do not enjoy it at oh, all. Oh, my God. My daughter hates it. Now she's swinging. It's like Mike Tyson. <laughs> and she's like, no, Daddy, no. So I don't like it because it tastes salty. Like, as you're sucking in... You like feel the, the okay, well, salt coming through. I don't do that. I use the uh, hand sucker. I don't use oh, my mouth. Oh, really? Yeah, the no. nose, Frida. You're not into no, that. No, God. Are you kidding me? If you're gonna tell me that I have to suck the snot yeah, out of my yeah. daughter's nose, I'm out, dude. It. Oof. I wonder why you're getting sick. Yeah, yeah. didn't did, did not enjoy that one. I'm I'm letting. Yeah, no, you're drinking the spit, man. Or the <laughs> snot, man. You got to get the little bulb. You just put it up there. You squeeze it and it, suck it out without your mouth. Somebody said you took him to a doctor because of a cold. Suck that bleep out of his nose and let the little nose thing, and he'll be fine. All right, sir, madam, chill. You you, you yeah. parent your kids the way that you want to. I'll well, parent also, mine the way that we want. And to. also, like, let's be let's be honest here. We got to make sure a three month old doesn't have more than just a runny nose. Yeah. That's why they go to the pediatrician. Come on now, get I out still of can't here. get over. He's drinking his snack. Yeah, I just I I can't believe that's what you and Kara yeah. decided to do. The odds of you being sick by Wednesday are minus a thousand. I'm just so surprised. Like we have one that's like it's a it's a electric one where it's got like a little thing on it. You stick it up the nose, you turn it on, and it just sucks it out. Yeah. And then we've got the bulb that you use your hands to do. So we've got that as well. We use that. But you decide to go for the one where you put the straw up there and you suck it out yourself. Hey man, that's care decision. I, I, I will tell you there is a the odds on me getting sick were what. Minus 1,000. The same odds are on me going to Amazon after the show today and buying the oh, the rechargeable God, yeah, version. Just, oof. Have you guys ever, speaking of nose sucking, have you ever, um, 
Have you ever used that? What's those things though, where, where like when you've got a stuffed up nose, you put it in one nose and it squirts the water oh, and it comes no. out the other? What nose oh, yeah. Frida's or whatever? No, that's the one that I suck through. Um, you're talking about the neti pot. Neti pot, that's what it is. I see people do it all the time and I am i don't know how it works and oh, I'm afraid dude, to use it. Those things are a lifesaver. I don't know really? how to use it and 100%. it scares me. Yeah, no. It, I don't it, like things going up my nose. Oh, you're not going to like it. Well, I've got a large okay. nose cavity, so it's like, I mean, the Atlantic Ocean is going up there as I'm using the neti pot. But yeah, it's uh, oh, it's very helpful. Do, do you yell tidal wave when it happens? <laughs> I probably should. ALA, watch out for this. <laughs> Everyone, get cover. Coming up next, the baseball format for playoffs is coming under scrutiny already. We're one year into this thing. I should have seen it coming. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK, so I should have seen this one coming. For some reason, I didn't. I saw the headline this morning over on The Athletic. Ken Rosenthal, does Major League Baseball's playoff format already need changes as higher seeds lose advantage? Hell no, it doesn't. Absolutely not. What do you mean they lose advantage? Five days off too much. The Atlanta Braves had Spencer Strider on the mound. The Philadelphia Phillies had Ranger Suarez on the mound. There's your advantage. Well, hey, he looks like Spencer Strider when you get five days off and you don't get to see any live pitching. <laughs> Clayton Kershaw, who can use some rest at this point in a long season, nah. was able to get that rest. He was the starter for the L.A. Dodgers in their first game of that series against the Diamondbacks. Guess what? He lost. You know why he lost? Because he got his butt whipped in the first inning of the game and couldn't even make it through the first inning. So, no, I don't have any sympathy whatsoever for these teams that won 100 games that lost in their first game of the season. Or series, rather. Alex, T-Bone, I am curious your thoughts, though, because I am a reasonable man. Do you think that Ken Rosenthal asking the question is legitimate, and should we be reconsidering the way that the baseball playoff format works? I mean, it's always legitimate, but how are you going to change it to make it any different i i just think you know what the bigger problem was i think teams that got into the playoffs because of these wild cards were just inferior opponents and they shouldn't have been in the playoffs i think that's how you fix it you eliminate all of these wild card teams but i i mean like how are you going to fix it in terms of bringing these teams in like i get that you just roll right into it or you don't give them the days off or whatever it just doesn't make any sense man like you have and you have to plan for that third game you, you can't assume that right. there are going to be a bunch of sweeps in the wild card around the way that there were this year you have to assume that there's going to be a game three that is and played. if you're going to keep giving these days off to then. let them rest to make sure you get the best thing well guess what now your season's going deeper into it and now you're probably going to have to shorten up your regular season games which major league baseball's not going to do because that's a money grabber so I mean, it's always a legit question to be asked, especially when you get four sweeps in a wild card. But I, I also think you probably just shouldn't be putting three of those teams in the postseason. Milwaukee shouldn't have never even been there. Hey, Amen. Well, I they think the higher seeds just were overvalued this year. And I think that's what happened. I think that the league has consolidated in a way where, like, or condensed in a way. The best teams have come down a little bit compared to what they were in recent years. And the middle of the pack teams have come up a little bit. I think this Philly seems really good. I think they would be doing this against the Orioles, the Twins, the Astros, the Dodgers, whoever they went up against in the first round of the postseason, the NLDS, rather. They would be having a real opportunity 
to beat or sweep whoever it is that they go up against. I think the Dodgers were overvalued all season long. We've talked about this all year. They were a paper tiger. You look at the pitching that they have. It is not. It doesn't compare with the other legitimate contenders around Major League Baseball. The Twins just got a great start out of Pablo Lopez. That's how you explain their ability. And Carlos Correa has refound what he was when he was a playoff performer with the Astros. The Rangers are just hitting the crap out of the baseball the way that they did like the first three months of the season. So how do you explain this? You explain it by saying, hey, the teams that are winning right now are really good. And the teams that have lost this home field advantage that people apparently think needs to be an extra run per game or something like you should start out leading three to nothing when you're at home. It's nonsense. It's Uh, hard to get through the baseball playoffs. It always has been. And I think, too, one thing that I am curious to see as we get along and get years into this new playoff format which will probably change soon anyways but i i do think it is a bit odd with five days off before your first game because at no point in a baseball season do you get five days off not even the all-star break is five days off and typically you have probably one or two players that's playing at that time there's just not a but there's no great formula to avoid that one thing i do think they need to consider and i know smoltz brought this up on whatever game he was on over oh, the weekend it's gonna be a great idea Whoa! Well, that's a Hall of Fame pitcher, yeah, you numbers is. nerd. He's a great pitcher. Um, <laughs> Seriously, you know what? We'll play. What do you want to we'll play? Do you want to back the analytics? The one, the one thing that I do do that guy think, hates baseball. I, Jesus. The one thing I do like that he brought up is you do have to schedule those three days in for those three in case a wild card series does go three days. But instead of giving a off day for travel and a day off for these wild card teams to recover, you just start the DS. And I do think that is something that should be considered because there should be more punishment put on a team that has to play in the wild card round. And that way they do come in and it is, okay, you don't get a day so off, should have so you start, get to so travel. The one day. That was yeah. what's going to do it. So instead of the Braves losing three to nothing, they would have won three to nothing because they played on Friday instead of Saturday. But the it's one, nonsense. The one thing that is different potentially in that scenario, and it wouldn't have mattered this year because everybody swept in the wild card round is in a Game 3, in the way that the Phillies clearly would have approached a Game 3, was they were not going to let Suarez pitch five, six innings. They were going to get him out as quick as possible. Your bullpen. Their bullpen would have been fried. Sure. And that is one thing. Like, again, this year it would have had no effect well, on theirs wouldn't have because their starters go deep into games. But I can see how it would impact others. But that is one thing that I think... Got him. I mean, it's true. Like, the one of the reasons why they advanced past the wild card round is because Nola and Wheeler just completely shoved in their two games, and they barely had to use well, the bullpen. Well, no, I agree. But, I mean... Look at what they did in game one. Scores went three and a third. That's what I'm saying sure, is if they, they get to a game three. The would have been arrested because they didn't need to use them in the first two games of the wild card but round. But they would so have been burned out for game one of the they DS. They wouldn't have because they didn't use them. <laughs> like, this is what I'm saying. They they won seven to one in game two of that wild card series. And their starter, Aaron Nola, went, what, seven innings in that game? So, I mean, it's just like they used two other, two other relievers in that one. I I don't think it would have changed anything. I think we're looking for a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. You don't like it? Play better. That's the truth. Or stop if, letting everybody in. I mean, that's exa- that is the right answer. Milwaukee shouldn't have been you in. You earned well, a buy. Earned with winning this. No, the Braves were able to add extra time. From You know what helps the Braves? Max Freed being back into their rotation. That helps them. That they were able to get extra rest for the guy that is dealing with a blister issue right now. You know what should have helped the Dodgers? Clayton Kershaw having extra rest going into that game. You know what didn't help them, apparently? Clayton Kershaw having extra rest going into that uh, one. We know he's not a playoff pitcher. No, um, he's also like, I, what, 90? The one thing that I am curious about, and I don't think you're going to get a true answer from this in two years of this format, but as this format starts to age a little bit more, is what offenses look like for those teams coming off of the bye. Because, again, five days is just 
not normal. Now, pitching, I would expect to be sharp because the arm would be fresh. Offense is though I would expect timing to disappear. And that's one thing, like, if the Braves get knocked out in this series by the Philadelphia Phillies, yes, a lot of people will point to their pitching, and I think that's a fair thing to point at. But I would also say, like, if their offense just goes completely cold in these four, three to five games, how much of that is because they had five days off? And that their timing just, you can't simulate the same thing of going up against actual pitching from another team. So that is one thing that I am curious as this format starts to age. But again, for all the questions raised about the format, guys, the Astros had a bye last year and they got to the World Series. In fact, they didn't even need to lose a game in the CS. They beat the crap out of the Yankees. And they got to the World Series and won the whole damn thing. That's what I don't understand. Like, we're we're acting as if this wasn't in place last year and we didn't just see this end up working for the Astros last year. Also, I mean, the Astros lost a game. I, I guess this is maybe another question that I've I've got for you guys. Who is the team that we're changing this for? Who is the team that you're looking at from this past weekend and you're thinking to yourself, man, that series would have been way different if it was one day closer to the wild card None of series them. ending? Not one of them. I, like the Orioles pitching didn't hold up against a excellent Rangers offense. The Rangers are not your typical wild card team. They started out the year. I remember when we were talking about them coming up against the Cardinals. They were the Ast- or the uh, the Braves' offense before the Braves' offense was the Braves' offense. Like the Rangers were the team that came out gangbusters to start out the season, and they just they had a number on the Orioles' pitching over the weekend. It happens, man. It, it happens fast and it turns quickly on you. The Astros lost one game. They lost one game. They were one and one at home. That happens all the time, and they went up against a Twins team that had an excellent starter on the mound yesterday with Pablo Lopez having what is clearly his coming out party as a potential ace uh, for years to come in Major League Baseball. The Phillies everybody knew were really good coming into the postseason and had every opportunity to beat a team like the Braves. Braves had a weird off night. There were some weird calls that took place in that game as well, and then we knew that the Diamondbacks had serious pitching questions. I don't think any of these would have really changed all that dramatically if we didn't have the delay that we did. So maybe there's something to be looked at. I haven't seen anything based on the first two years of this format that really needs to be changed. Let's if you it. think that fewer teams should make the playoffs, yes. that is a fair criticism. Well, hey, we're going to th- add more. If you think that because these playoffs have gone the way that they have, man, let me point you to every postseason of the last 20 years. Look at the Cardinals that won the World Series in 06 and 2011. Am I mistaken, or did those teams not win the division? Like, were those teams considered to be, like, the lesser of the teams that have made it to the postseason from the Cardinals franchise over the last 20 years? 2014, Royals make it to the World Series. 2014, Giants make it to the World Series. You know what both of those teams were? Wildcard teams. Shouldn't have been in. Like, this is this is not some new thing that is taking place, new phenomenon. Baseball's weird. Weird stuff happens. It's why all of these general managers come out and tell you, hey, just get in, and we'll find a way to get to the Who World are you Series. imitating there when you just did that? Jerry DePoto. Coming up next, football pick sure. and reveal here on 101 ESPN. Sure. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big See, that's Tanner on BK. All right, we got to get to our football pick and reveal. Every week we do this. We label our picks from one to three on a scale of confidence. Three being the most, one, of course, being the fewest in that regard. We can pick any game that is played on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday in the NFL or college football slate. One 
slight caveat, it does have to be against the spread. No props, nothing like that. It's just straight up against the spread. Who you like in this game, Team X or Team Y? Let's start with the first pick that the two of you both liked. I liked it as well. I didn't like it as much about mm, quarter in as the quarterback ended up leaving the game. Yeah. The Indianapolis Colts. All right. Well, my number one pick, my least confident pick going into this week, I've got the Colts a plus two and a half against the Titans. I, I agree with Alex. I don't understand how they are at home and they are not favored in this one. Because that's my number two play. That's my second confident pick was the Colts plus two and a half. Vinci gives Moss still on his feet. He's in. And Indianapolis punches back. Honestly, we. I'm glad that they won that one. I'm glad that they covered, but I was stressing the entire bleeping time when Anthony Richardson left. Thank God for Thor Gardner Minshew to at least be competent enough. Really thank God for Zach Moss because uh, that would have gotten ugly really fast. And thank God that Ryan Tannehill is bad now. Uh, that's, well, that's, that's true the other too. Thing. Now, it was a kind of a resurrection for DeAndre Hopkins. He looked good in that one. Had a really nice day overall, but... Um, yeah, there, there was just not a whole lot going for the Tennessee offense. And Indianapolis has a real defense, man. Their defense is really good, and specifically against the run, it's really hard to run against that Colts defense. Credit to you guys for having the guts to make the pick. Here's the question, though. Are you guys going to be picking Indianapolis in the future? No. Because now it looks like they're going to be without Anthony Richardson, ah, my guy, for at least the next one. Well, month. I will say it depends on the matchup because Jacksonville next week, next week. Uh, on the think, road. I don't think I would touch that one. Mostly because I don't think the run game is going to be as effective, and I don't trust Minshew in terms of from start to finish. So, yeah, I don't think so. I don't trust either team, so I will not be touching that yes, game. Same here. All right, next one up. I picked what is guaranteed to be a winner because that's all I do nowadays. Miami, <laughs> Miami. Here we go. My one-point game going into the weekend. Only one point. Anybody huh? understand why the Dolphins are only an 11.5-point favorite? Oh, boy. The Dolphins, I think you can make a case, are top three team in the NFL this year. Give me the Dolphins. There's no way this one loses. From the 24, on first down, a big hole for Achan. Still going down the sideline. Devon Achan will take it all the way. 76 yards for a Dolphins touchdown. Alex, I 100% thought I was losing this game. So, I did too. I, I, there was no chance Miami was losing this game. It was just a matter of are they going to be able to cover the 11. So... The New York Giants got the fo- got the football down 31 to 16, 15 points down with about 6 minutes to play in the fourth quarter. They then have a 13 play 65 yard drive that stalled out on 4th and 3 at the Miami 19 yard line. I absolutely thought they were going to get the backdoor cover because if they would have scored there, I mean, you're Miami, you're getting the ball back and you're <laughs> you kneeing care. it out from there, so you're not trying to score again. I was terrified in the late fourth quarter period of that one where Tyrod Taylor was going to come in and save the day for the Giants against the spread. I was really hoping that that backdoor cover happened. Now, it was only the one-point play, so I'm like, meh, really? Like, or no, it was your... Yeah, no, it was your one point. point play. I was like, man, okay, not a That's big deal. on me. I should have put it as my three. Didn't yeah, you say this looking, is the one I'm most yeah, confident yeah, in yeah, and we're going to put idiot. it at number one? We know this by now. I'm stupid. I'm not good at this. <laughs> I thought for sure he was going to At least you're good-looking, man. It, it made sense that he would get it wrong and potentially go 0-3. I was really hoping that that was going to happen. All right, T-Bone picked a big-time favorite as well. His was on the college side of things. But my number one pick, I love Michigan on the road at Minnesota. Minus 18.5. I know it's a big spread, but they are playing great That's a spread I could get behind. Play action for McCarthy. Should have joined. Steps up (laughs) as he throws. Doesn't matter. Colston Loveland, touchdown Michigan. They won by 42. Uh, never really a sweat in that one in any way, shape, or form. They were up 24 to 10 at the half, and T-Bone knew, eh, 
I'm going to go ahead and sl- glide my way to victory yeah. on this one. Yeah, at 24, at that one point, that game got off to a bit of a sluggish start for Michigan. I was like, uh, could this be a little bit closer than I was expecting? When it was 24-10 after, I was like, oh, okay, Minnesota's not going to put up New rule, more. we should eliminate these games where it's like a highly ranked no, opponent in college football against not. us. It's ridiculous. I've missed on one of those before. It's an, what do you easy, mean? It's an easy victory. Because you can't pick the right <laughs> big spread. Is it my fault? I just don't pick college football. All right, so Alex made a baffling decision. This past week. Really? Was it really baffling? I say that as somebody that's terrible at all of these. Like, I, I never make good choices. Oh, yeah, this one was bad. This one was a yeah. genuinely bad choice. This one was stupid. Because you can never predict what happens in these games. Number one play for me is the game that you guys said you'd go the other way. I'm taking Buffalo minus five and a half. Von Miller returning yeah, it didn't is going to be a boost for them. Yeah, and no, I understand that Josh Allen could Josh Allen all over the field. But he didn't. But he seems to be in rhythm right now. And I'm not really sure Jacksonville's going to be able to find a way to stop what he and Stephon Diggs did in that last game. There's Etienne up the middle. Etienne is free. Etienne, touchdown, 35 yards. Yeah, welcome back, Von Miller. You looked awesome out there. The hype train was, oh, Von's back. So now we're really going to build it. Get the bleep out of here. Yeah, that was a stupid play by me. 500 yards of offense for the Jaguars. It turns out that it did matter that they stayed over in London. The <laughs> Buffalo Bills didn't wake up in that game until the fourth yeah, quarter. Can, and by that point, it was too late. Can, can I start a little bit of a rant here? Like, how, how the bleep do you get to the the... The place that you're playing when you know the jet lag and the time change is going to mess with you, you get there Friday. Like, Man. seriously? How you about you the get there early? Them. I know, yeah. but here's my problem, though. The other game that I was going to put in that spot was a game that didn't cover. It was the Texans. So I, no, I was going to lose that regardless. So the next one up is uh, T-Bone. I actually liked his pick here. Yeah. And it could not have gone any worse for him. <laughs> Uh, my number two pick, I'm kind of going to go off the beaten path. Uh, yeah. Daniels looks like he's going to be out. He's dealing with a back injury and only two points on the road at Kansas. Kansas isn't the same team without him. So yeah. I like UCF minus True. two points. Daniels inside the it's Wilson. He darts outside. Wilson with some space once again. He cuts back. Wilson across the 40. He is out of here. Outrageous. 83 yards of ballet. So Kansas was his pick to lose. He had UCF uh, minus the points. Unfortunately, UCF ended up losing that game 51 to 22, while Kansas, Alex, get this, threw for 90 yards. They ran for 400 in that game against UCF. You were never once was that in doubt. They were up 24 nothing at the half and it was over. I personally love when T-Bone sends the text or one of us sends the text of the score at halftime and says this isn't going well. But Tanner just one upped himself. He sent it and then he sent the gif of the Simpsons. I'm in danger. <laughs> I'm in danger. I picture I, T-Bone sitting I, on a, in his car watching that and the, saying it. The f- funny part was as I saw that come up I was like, "Man, I was like, what was the other game I have?" And then I saw Papa I was like, "Oh, that's a blowout. Oh, wait, that's my game. Oh, this is great so uh, i'm in danger you knew it was a bad pick because i was like yeah i kind of like that one jalen daniels out ucf's been mostly pretty good so far this season uh ucf was definitely overrated as as we learned ucf doesn't belong in the big 12 paper tiger all right just like illinois doesn't belong in the big 10 hey hey alex should have known this was going to be a loser when we (laughs) had the same selection that's uh, so true man divisional game on the road five point favorite i should have known better my most confident pick can somebody explain to me why Baltimore is only a four-and-a-half-point spread against BKL. Pittsburgh? I'm gotcha. going with that. That is my number three pick. I like the Ravens minus the four-and-a-half. It doesn't make any sense, dude. Shotgun. Jackson. 
Up high, intercepted, picked up by Joey Porter Jr. The rookie comes away with it. You know what the problem was? Yeah, the, the problem was everything. We lo- everything. Right here. It doesn't make any sense, dude. Yeah, that. But it was also like it lost in the ultimate BKO fashion. Like uh. it was holding strong, and Baltimore got the ball back to like put themselves on top and like easily cover. And then he throws a freaking pick in the end zone to end it. Like that That's was weird. the BKO, just kick to the groin. I'm I'm no longer making the same pick as you. So they recover the fumble. Stupid. At the Pittsburgh seven yard line with five and a half to play. Baltimore is up 10-8, to eight, which is a baseball score if I've ever heard one, and I should have seen yeah. that one coming. It's like a Dodgers-Diamondbacks game. They gave the ball at the 7-yard line. Minus the 8. First and goal, run for 3 yards. Second and goal, pass for negative 1 yards. Not ideal, but whatever. You're at least going to get points out of this, and you're going to get the 3. You're going to go up by 5. Pittsburgh's offense has done nothing all day long. You got this. We got it in the bag, Alex. I'm feeling good. 4.5, no I did. problem. Lamar Jackson throws the pick to Porter in the end zone. Now they don't score. And then like five plays later, you get the 40 yard touchdown pass from Kenny Pickett on a prayer to George Pickens. The next drive, Lamar Jackson sack strip fumble. Then Pittsburgh goes out and kicks a field goal. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to relive it, man. Jesus. Hey, you you got another minute left. Lamar's got a chance to be able to drive down. We'll send this thing to overtime. Maybe, maybe we can still cover the spread. Nope. 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 Fourth and seven, sack, boom, end of game. And not only that, but then TJ Watt is actually taunting us from the screen. He takes off his helmet while he's on the screen, screaming, yelling, yeah! I could feel that in my heart. I just want you guys to know I was like the Seinfeld meme. I was like, that's a shame. I hate myself. I'm no longer making the same pick as you. That was a tough loss for me and Alex. Alex ends up one and two on the week with his Colts pick being the winner. Can we initiate a new rule? If BK has a play that we've already repeated, we can change it. Then we have our final pick of the week. My selection that felt really good with like a minute to play. I love the Texans plus the two. Yep. I again, yep. I just don't understand. Like what? That's what I like. In, in what world does this make one sense? And a half, by the way, the Falcons have been atrocious. I'm going to take the Texans oh, plus did. one and a half. Plus one and a half. And who got it? And Atlanta wins it. I'm glad that the, you didn't get that though. I wish I got the two. No, <laughs> really, like it didn't matter. We we don't get the points for a push anyways. Um, CJ Stroud, I think, played pretty well overall in this game. They found a way to come back in the end, and I I thought they had the game winning uh, touchdown drive with you know. A minute 45 to play. And then the Falcons, by the way, who remembered for one day that they have Kyle Pitts. Finally remembered that he's on the team. All year long, all it's been is Bijan and Tyler Algier. And then in this one, 170 yards combined between Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Okay, cool. Awesome. Great. Sweet. Lose by two points. I end up losing that game. So I go one and two. I get one point on the week. You got two? I got two points. T-Bone got four. What do you mean crappy week for all of us? Some of us are top of the leaderboard. Dude, you're only two points up. You're going to implode the last week, and you'll be spoon-feeding baby food. You've got to wear a bib when you lose. (laughs) Two points on BK is like ten. No, No, you're you're three points on BK. You're two points on me. One. Get, get up by yeah. one, you're good. Yeah. You're true. Honestly, be tied with them in points in the last week. Yeah. It's good. like being against the Cardinals this year. You're up late in the like seventh inning. <laughs> you're fine. One, once the Cardinals, or once Michigan covered that spread on Saturday night, I went, all right, I'm not getting punished. Well, it's fine. 
I'm fine. I shouldn't have picked the 8:30 game as my three-point play because somebody the rest on the text the line sucked. from the 636 said, "Guys, at least you didn't have Mizzou on the spread. That pick six ruined my weekend." Mm, Here's well, the thing: I did have them on the money line and the over. Yeah, well, I had them on the spread on a bet. So, did you? Yeah. Yep. I decided for my own sanity not to select them for our three picks of the week. I told you guys all week long, Mizzou plus six and a half was like my favorite pick of the year. We saw that one once. Coming up next, Shocker still would have lost. <laughs> Pablo Lopez looks exactly like the pitcher that the Cardinals are trying to target this offseason. He's not available. The Twins are certainly not going to be trading him. Is there anybody that could be available that fits into what Pablo Lopez when he was traded to the Twins? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm BK. So over the weekend, one of the biggest storylines to come out of it was Pablo Lopez, who was just outstanding yesterday uh, for the Minnesota Twins, keeping them in that series against the Houston Astros, mostly shutting down that lineup, ended up going seven innings, gave up six hits, but no earned runs, seven strikeouts in that one. And Alex, we've referenced this a number of times, but the Pablo Lopez trade for Luis Arise ended up really being a win-win for both teams. The uh, Miami Marlins had a ton of pitching to offer and they needed somebody that could come in and bolster their lineup. Well, Luis Arise did that. He was a guy that was hitting 400 for what the first two months of the season. Ended up overall being a highly productive player for that lineup. They don't have enough around him right now, but he's a big piece of the building blocks that they're trying to have down there in Miami. Meanwhile, Pablo Lopez goes to Minnesota, signs an extension with them, and has been everything they could have asked for and then some so far in his tenure out with the Twins. The question for the Cardinals is how can you find the next Pablo Lopez? Who is the guy that you can go out there and acquire that can do for you what Lopez has done for the Twins? Because it's possible Aaron Nola decides to stay in Philadelphia. Blake Snell says, hey, I don't want to come to St. Louis. I would rather play for the Dodgers or for one of the New York teams. I, I want to be on a coast, right? And maybe Yamamoto says, ah, I don't want to go there either. I want to stay on a coast. I want to go to San Francisco. I'm going to be one of the next big-time players there. And now, uh-oh. You're kind of stuck without a number one. So you sign Sonny Gray and then you go to the trade market to get another guy. Alex, if that ended up being what the Cardinals decided to do this offseason, first of all, how would you feel about it? But second of all, do you have any pitchers in mind that you think could be for the Cardinals what Lopez has been for the Twins? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would feel great about it if they pulled this move off. And I know people aren't going to be happy because the player I'm about to name is the comp to Luis Arise, but it's Nolan Gorman. Like, this is how you're probably going to be able to pull this trade off if you're going to have to trade away this young player who is potentially an all-star moving forward for multiple years. But if I'm getting myself a Pablo Lopez... I'm setting myself up. And look, I mean, just like we talk about pitching can break, hitting can go up quiet really quick. Like Luis Arise has been great all season long for them. But of course, like you mentioned, he didn't have anything to back up. And he wasn't an, a world, uh, he wasn't an earth shattering great in that postseason appearance for Miami. Uh, the guy in mind for me is the guy I've been talking about so much about it. It's Logan Gilbert. And uh, comp wise, like obviously Lopez has been around a lot more than Logan Gilbert. Like this is his second full season as a starting pitcher for Seattle. But both guys probably were not viewed as number ones. Both guys ate a lot of innings. And I would say strikeout numbers are better for Pablo Lopez than Logan Gilbert. But both guys can go somewhere and project to be that number one. And that's the trade I've always brought up. I don't know if Seattle does it, but a Nolan Gorman for Logan Gilbert would make a hell of a lot of sense for the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I think the one guy that pops to my mind, and it's because 
it's kind of he's got some of the things that I saw in Lopez because I wanted Lopez from Miami was his stuff was so good, but I just didn't know if he could stay healthy. And apparently, you could unlock more, which good for Minnesota. Is Dylan Cease? I, I Cease's stuff when he's right, man, that is he's electrifying, and that's part of the reason he finished second in the Cy Young uh, last year or two years ago. Last year, so he's got the stuff. And whether you whatever happened this year, whether it was just it was a bad situation, didn't enjoy being there, and it led to just kind of a trickle down effect, or something went wrong in his mechanics, and there's something that you can look at and fix, and it, he gets back to being himself. He's the guy for me. Dylan, Dylan Cease has the stuff that. I think he's unlike Pablo Lopez, who when this trade happened was viewed as like a two or three across baseball and is now trying to propel himself to a number one status. Cease has been a number one and is still viewed as a number one, but I think you can unlock and get him back on track. If there's whatever, if the Cardinals can look at just his his numbers, if, if Dusty Blake can find something, as we've seen, Dusty Blake was able to fix, fix a couple of pitchers early on this year by fixing Jordan Hicks, fixing Steven Matz. That's the guy that I would circle that just screams potential Pablo Lopez trade. I think there's a lot of truth to it. And when you look at Pablo Lopez's uh, player card over on Baseball Reference, for what it's worth, one of the players that he most closely resembles through his age, whatever, 28 season, um, 27, excuse me, season is actually Dylan Cease. Like they're the two are very, very similar in so many different ways. The three years prior to Pablo Lopez being traded to Minnesota he had a 120 ERA plus scale of 100, 100 being exactly league average, so 20% above league average. Dylan Cease over the past three seasons, including this year where it was a down season for him, is at 121. If you're looking at like just ERA, any of the other numbers, they, they are remarkably similar. Now, Cease has a little better strikeout stuff and walks a few more batters. So there is some distinct differences between the two, and they go about it a little differently, but That's kind of what you're expecting out of the two of them. The other guy that I would throw into this category, now he's a little bit older, but has some of the injury questions that there were about Pablo Lopez. Because we got to remember, going into this season, one of the questions about him was, was that a one-off last year? Started 32 games for Miami through 180 innings. Prior to that, his career high was 110 innings in any individual season. The guy that we talked about earlier, who has not stayed healthy for the vast majority of his career, finally did so this year. It's Tyler Glass now. Started 21 games for the Tampa Bay Rays. Ended up throwing 120 innings for them. He is dynamite when he is healthy. Question is, can you keep him healthy? And if the Cardinals are going to operate this upcoming year as if they have six or seven guys that can start for them, I think Glass now is exactly the type of candidate to be a part of this rotation. And you just say, you know what? We're expecting 20 starts healthy out of him this upcoming year. Yeah, he's going to miss 10 starts for us. And when he's not in there... We trust Zach Thompson to be able to carry the load. And that's going to be a guy that spends decent portion of the season down in Memphis to be a triple-A starter and when called upon, more than capable to make starts at the big league level. I think that's something that the Cardinals need to consider, and I think it's something that they will consider this offseason. Glass now would be the other guy that I would throw into that criteria. Yeah, I think you need to target the swing and miss stuff in this offseason in terms of going this Pablo Lopez route because it seems you're backing this Dusty Blake horse that's trying to going to change the dynamic of the pitching staff and really the development of pitchers. You got to back this horse in terms of going after the swing and miss player. And it's a player that might not have, or already at the potential, whether it's Dylan Cease or Tyler glass now, or Logan Gilbert, any of these guys, you've got to target it. And it just comes down to, are you willing to pay the cost to get them? Or are you going to pay the money to play, to sign those players? And I like what you said, because this is why I've been pushing for Zach Thompson to be the six, even though he pitched really well down the stretches, it should no longer be, all right, what is our 
five starting pitchers going to be this year. It needs to be, let's look at this in the aggregate. If we acquire Tyler Glass now, let's plan on 21 starts, 20 starts. And then let's plan on Zach Thompson filling out the rest of those starts. Okay, now what about Steven Matz? Because as much as we talk about going after a guy like a Glass now that has an injury history, they're going to have to plan as if Steven Matz is only giving them 20 starts because he hasn't proven to stay healthy here in St. Louis. Okay, if Matz only gives us 20, then who's the guy that fills in his spot when we get there? They've got to look at it from a broader view instead of just, oh, here's five starting pitchers. Who cares about the depth? We'll figure that out when we get there. And if we have to, we'll trade from it, trade for it at the deadline. No, plan on going, okay, how do we fill out 162 starts? Exactly. You know that Michaelis is going to make 30 of them. Yeah. So you can throw that into the mix. Let's say 15, because I think 20 might even be aggressive for Steven Matz. Wow. 15 starts for Steven Matz next year. The other 15 in that spot, let's put that to Zach Thompson, right? Okay, so now you're up to 60 starts on the season. Where are the other 100 starts coming from for the Cardinals in 2024? That's what they need to acquire this offseason. Maybe that's some combination of three starters coming via trade and free agency. Might even be four. Might even be another guy that you decide to add that can kind of be a swing man for you in the bullpen slash rotation. Maybe some of those starts are coming from TK Roby. Maybe you think McGreevy or Graceffo or Drew Ron, whoever the guy is, can be a part of that as well, making five to ten starts next year. I don't care how you go about it, but that's the way to do it. You don't have a five-man rotation any longer. Look at what the Rays had to do. Look at what Cleveland had to do to be able to get through the season. The Dodgers, you're using seven to eight different starters over the course of the year, and most of them are making 20 to 25 starts in today's day and age. Find a way to go get those guys. Maybe Tyler Malley is somebody that you target coming off of an injury. Maybe it is a glass now. Maybe it is a Logan Gilbert who's going to make 30 for you. Maybe you just go out and say, you know what? This is why we want Aaron Nola, because we can count on him for 30, and then we'll piece things together behind him. I don't care. But you got to go out there and get the top-end pitching that can come in and help you uh, the way that uh, Pablo Lopez has for the Minnesota Twins. That's why I really feel like you've got to accomplish getting two guys that can give you 30 starts each and then figure it out on that third guy. And you're probably going to have to accomplish that one via trade and one via signing, which means you're going to have to give up an asset that makes you uncomfortable. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, I thought this was going to be the weekend that Mizzou put itself on the map by getting another top 25 victory. Instead, it felt like the same old Mizzou. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up tomorrow, we'll talk a little bit about the Blues heading into the regular season with our guy Jeremy Rutherford. Alex, by the way, we should mention the Blues did put a bunch of guys through waivers yesterday, officially setting their roster going into opening night. One of the things that we said all along, hey, they're trying to play the asset management game. The guys they're sending through waivers, they're probably doing so because they think they will all clear. I thought Callie Rosen would be picked up. Me too. Thought somebody would take a take a chance on him. None of them did. 
Subban's still here. All the forwards that were put through waivers, they're still here. And Callie Rosen is here. So none of the Blues players that were placed through waivers were selected. Are you surprised? No. Uh, well, I'm surprised on the Callie Rosen, not on the McEachern or Walker. Uh, Callie Rosen, I am, especially with the Athletic, putting him at kind of the surprising player through waivers. Uh, this is great news for the Blues, though, because that asset management worked. And now if somebody goes down in your bottom forwards or if somebody drops in the uh, offense or the defensive side, you've got weapons that can come up and be NHL assets and that's huge for the blues so that is the latest with the st louis blues we'll get more into the decision making process on what led to who ended up being on the roster with jr tomorrow alex i did want to take a look back one more time on mizzou's game versus lsu from the weekend brady cook throws for 400 luther burden does what he does gets 150 yards through the air and missouri loses 49 to 39 final score i don't think is totally indicative of how close the game was because of the pick six that took place there that being said, uh, disheartening. I, I would say disheartening is the way that I would describe that game because your offense performed up to every possible expectation against LSU's defense. The problem was your defense, which you came into the season thinking, okay, if the offense can just take a little bit of a step forward, our defense is good enough to where that's going to be where you want to be. Well, the defense has now taken a pretty solid step back while the offense has taken like seven steps forward. Does it change at all for you how you feel about the team the rest of the way in the second half? Uh, The only thing that changes is, like, I don't know if I can rely on the defense to close out victories like I did prior to that game because that second half, the defense was very concerning. But it doesn't change my thought process on the Tigers in terms of finishing off the season strong. Like, uh, Georgia's now kind of an up-in-the-air game for me compared to what it was going into that LSU game. But one thing's for sure, their offense is going to continue to win them football games. And frankly, I think those those non-ranked opponents in the SEC, those to me are still Mizzou victories, which means they're still going to be a nine-win team, which is a really good thing. I, I think it kind of reaffirmed for me that they weren't a team that was going to win the SEC. What are they in? East? Is that right? No, West. West. No, North. Oh, God. Whatever SEC the division they're in. Because um, I, I, I was skeptical that, you know, that they could beat LSU or Kentucky or Georgia, and that's what they were going to have to do if they were going to win the East. I, I think they're still a team that can finish second. Like, I have no doubt about that. But they're probably going to have to win those games in shootout fashion now. Like, if they're going to beat Kentucky, I think they're going to have to win a shootout. If they're going to beat Georgia, it is going to have to be a shootout. It, it's no longer a game where it is the defense finds a way to keep you in it, and then the offense, you just hope, finds a way to score that one touchdown that's the difference maker. There are four teams in the SEC that I think are pretty similar to what Missouri is right now. Ole Miss, LSU, um, Arkansas, those are the other teams around the league that play Ole Miss, LSU, Arkansas. Yeah, those are the teams that play basically the same style as Mizzou, where it's going to be run and gun all day long. You're going to have to score like 35 plus to be able to win these games. And that's that's where they're at for better or worse. The big issue for them is they're not getting home defensively. They're not making the tackles at first contact when they have pressure on the quarterback. The quarterback is finding a way to escape pressure. I would also add this. I do think that was the worst possible matchup for this Missouri defense. Jaden Daniels is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Right now, if you had to put a bet on it, I think he would be the third favorite to win the Heisman in 2023. You're not playing anybody else the rest of the way that compares to that guy. Like, what you're going up against this week with Kentucky, man, Devin Leary was pretty good at NC State. So far this year, he's been very average at Kentucky. This is going to be a team that wants to run it against you. It's just a different style. Georgia, not the same running game that they have been in previous years. Carson Beck, though, ain't Jaden Daniels. 
Jane Daniels beat you on Saturday. And the hope is you don't see a whole lot of quarterbacks the rest of the way that can do the same. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.